Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. I am a filmmaker based out of Los Angeles, California. This is episode number 48. Joining me today is Olivia Wong. Hey, everyone. So honored to be here. Thank you, Eddie, for having me on the podcast. For sure, of course. So quick intro on you. You are a writer-director. Also describe yourself currently as a photographer. Anything we should add on to that or a, a little brief synopsis of... Yeah, sure. A little little bit of background there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I moved to Los Angeles um, almost two years ago, like right before COVID hit. So maybe not the best timing. Um, but yeah, prior to that, I was living up in Sacramento, California. And so moving down here two years ago really jump-started um, a lot of my career into independent writing and directing. Lovely. And do you want to give a little bit of summary as well on um, kind of your style of directing or kind of the the what what you bring as or I don't know the stories you like to tell just yeah. a little yeah <laughs> absolutely for sure for sure um, yeah so I have been wanting to do filmmaking ever since I was about fourteen it was like my goal to like be a writer and director and kind of like the reasoning behind that is I always wanted to try to bring um, you know the stories of marginalized groups of people to the light um, as a queer Asian American woman I feel like there's you know not been a lot of representation of people like me on screen certainly not when I was you know growing up watching TV, didn't really see many people that you know looked like me, identified in the same ways. And so um, talking about topics, whether it be advocating for the LGBT community, um, talking about things like mental health, um, also like race and financial inequality kind of disparities that are important to address too in this day and age. Um, so I feel like, yeah, a lot of my work focuses on like a little bit of activism and just trying to like send certain messages um, that I personally feel are important to society. Lovely. Those are those are some topics for sure. Those are big topics. We'll, we'll jump into a lot of that today. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into them. <laughs> and then as far as where we are currently, um, you are hosting me in a space that you have. Uh, I just want to bring that up because we have music playing right above us, yeah, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, was that playing earlier? <laughs> I'm not sure. It might have just started to complement our podcast. Potentially. Yeah, um, well, we are filming um, at my apartment in Hollywood, moved in here earlier this summer, and we have this great communal space for all of our 500 residents, so <laughs> oh you see gosh. people walking back and forth, that's probably why. It's lovely. Okay, great. Um, so we'll just jump right in. I don't know where to start. <sighs> where do we start, Olivia? Okay, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> So, you, okay, I want to jump into a topic we're talking about right before we're rolling, just yeah. to kind of get that completed for myself sure. and, and to catch people up, is uh, you did a recent interview where you talked about how this year, 2021, you accomplished, I'll call it accomplished, your directorial debut yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, you talk about how you've directed three films this year. Or you're directing three, what, you've directed three films, the first one being your debut. Correct. And I was yes. confused because <laughs> per my research, I was like, but you've directed stuff prior. And I was like, right, wait, right. 
I was that confused me. So yeah, I guess on like a very technical level, um, I have been directing since I was 14, like when I originally started getting into film. But um, I feel like a lot of that stuff was more just gaining experience and more so treating it as an exercise. Whereas my film earlier this year in March, Madness Incarnate, um, I consider it my directorial debut just because it was my first time ever like leading a full casting crew of at least you know 20 or so people. Um, all these people, you know, being paid for their time as well. And I think that's you know something as independent artists. Um, we kind of like work up to like we're in the beginning you may be working with a lot of friends you know doing a lot of favors of that nature um, but this was like my first time like you know actually dealing with like the paperwork and all of the legalities and going forth in a very uh, professional like manner so that's why I consider it my directorial debut. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Congratulations very cool uh, I guess I will <laughs> sorry the music is throwing me <laughs> off here um, I find it interesting because I think about myself, of course, I'm thinking about myself. No, just in terms of um, the, the directing job, because you're talking, yeah, directorial, okay. I think that that's very cool, but I also think Man, I, I'm thrown way off. Can you please continue? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're good. Um, I guess another to expand on that <laughs> sure, answer sure. a little bit might raise some more comments or questions. <laughs> yes. Um, this is also my first time, like, seriously trying to enter into film festivals as well. Um, we're not quite done with the film yet, but when we are done with it, we've, you know, um, allocated a certain percentage of the budget specifically towards film festivals, which not sure if you're familiar, but they're not mm -hmm. cheap to enter, unfortunately, you know. Mm. Um, each submission application could be ranging anywhere from maybe like 10 to $50, depending on the type of festival. And then, of course, you know, it's like, what festivals do you pick? There are like hundreds, thousands of, of film festivals in the world, of course. And so um, kind of doing that research and figuring out like things like that as well. It'll be my first time embarking on that with this project. So again, hence the directorial debut okay, okay. All even right. though there have so, been other films uh, there have been other films but so yeah i did want to <laughs> i did want to clarify the um professional thing i, I, re sure. I re re remembered my thought as you're talking yeah. so you mentioned it was your you it was able you were able to go through it with a professional manner hired people paperwork correct bigger crew in my mind I was. I wanted to give like the joke question. So yeah. you weren't doing them professionally before. Like I, I assume you seem like the type of person right. who would do it as professional as possible. As possible, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of the difference of again, like filling those positions, filling those niches. Mm -hmm. A lot of the films that I had done in the past, um, it's kind of almost like a one-man band. Where like you know I was the one like directing, writing, producing, editing, like mm -hmm. doing camera stuff, like pretty much everything under the sun. Um, and again, even though those projects were, were great experience, it's nothing compared to like moving into the sphere of like having like a full casting crew. And as a director, I feel like a lot of the skills are not just, you know, directing the vision, but also being able to, you know, lead a team effectively. And you can't lead a team if you have no team to lead. <laughs> and so. Sure, sure. Yeah. So what, <clears throat> in terms of, let's, let's talk about, and I'm curious about the differences that you experienced mm -hmm. moving from the previous huh. more one-man band style creating? Because you, you did how many projects prior to the debut film? 
Um, man, like um, a million. Yeah, like a million <laughs> little small ones, right? Sure, yeah. no, for sure. Okay, so then switching over, because right. I think it's great because having the pre-experience before you have the crew to manage, I think Absolutely. is super important. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you can definitely speak on, but I wanted to um, gauge what the biggest difference was jumping from the smaller mm -hmm. to the more professional yeah air quotes honestly like um this might seem like a simplistic answer but i i definitely feel like the biggest difference was simply moving to la um i think that you know living somewhere else even though i'm from california being from sacramento northern california not a lot of film opportunity and also just not many resources and people that like usually people like that are kind of dabbling in film but i personally didn't come across a lot of people that were like all right like this is my life's mission this is my passion you know um whereas you know moving to la pretty much everyone um, and anyone that i've met here is also like a filmmaker or creative to a certain uh, you're good to go, you're good to go through. Uh -huh. I can, like, pick up where I left off. Yeah, no, just go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that, like, moving to L.A. Um, and then being, like, surrounded by all of these people that are not only, like, creatives, but, like, want it so badly. I think that a lot of the times when people move to L.A., they already come with, like, the passion and the goal of, like, okay, like, this is what, you know, I'm meant to do. This is, like, the, what I want to follow, and I'm very, like, serious about it. And I think that having that type of dedication, um, again, around is so powerful. Prior to moving here, I would say pretty much none of my friends were in the film industry or entertainment industry, whereas, like, now, 90% of the people that I'm, like, you know, friends with, um, they're all, like, within this industry, which is, again, like, what LA kind of brings to it as far as, like, being, um, I know a lot of people complain that it's, like, a really saturated, oversaturated market for entertainment, but I also think that can be one of the greatest strengths of, like, finding amazing collaborators. Okay. All right. So the biggest, just to recap, <laughs> the biggest difference was having the passion around you in the different positions that... Right. Because that's not the norm. Yeah, that's not yeah. the norm anywhere else, really. Okay. So with that being said, how what was the difference in the outcome of the project itself? Like, did you feel that it was easy enough to communicate to this type of crew with the passionate team and you're able to get what you wanted? And, like, how, how did that all... The process of making that yeah, first yeah, film... Uh, um, so it was a process, it was a process. Um, it took a lot of different stages of development. At first, that film, Madness Incarnate, it was meant to be a school project because I was in a graduate program at USC. Um, and so that was like, you know, again, was very much gonna be like a smaller scale as far as we were not gonna hire people onto the team. We were just gonna work in our like small groups that we were assigned in class. But due to COVID, we were put completely online and um, none of us were able to shoot those films in our first semester during January of 2020. And so from there, I kind of realized, all right, well, if COVID's gonna last indefinitely. I have no idea when my school is gonna be back in person to give me this opportunity to, to create this story. So that's when I decided to you know, take it away from, from school and do it independently. And that's kind of when things started changing as far as like hiring people onto the crew and things of that nature. Okay, great. Copy you. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So I, yeah. I wanted to give a little bit of background on me really quick, just in case I'm not just for those who aren't familiar with my background, because I'm trying to relate. I, I'm I'm feeling very, I, 
I can relate to your whole thing. So um, I moved here from Reno. It's been three years for me. And uh, so I had a I had a good little little over a year before COVID hit. So I had a little a little head start. Um, but I had the same experience mm-hmm. being back home before getting here because I have the the same passion. I mean the same experience with getting to LA and having all the passionate crew and the passionate like specialized people with mm-hmm. oh you're actually you're dedicated to art like yeah. the nobody outside of LA seems to care about production design, <laughs> so, exactly. for instance. Um, so I did the same thing where I made a bunch of short films with friends and the community in Reno before I moved over. And it was tough getting people who are equally as passionate, who felt it was their life's journey and, um, doing the same thing, writing, producing, writing, directing, editing. Sometimes you're setting up cameras. Sometimes you're booming the other actors that, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So how okay i don't know there's uh, there's i'm bringing that up just to say i'm on the same page no i'm glad another fellow person i've I've spent like a good amount of time kind of in reno like tahoe like area and stuff so i can imagine that it'd be like a similar like vibe yeah it's it's a classic uh non-film town with a lot of um i guess if anything it's commercial a lot of commercial marketing type Mm -hmm, of stuff yeah mm -hmm. And then uh, theater, community theater. Great. So how, okay, I wanted to ask you, because you brought it up a little bit, and we're just going to be going all over the place here. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you want to speak more on the the brief USC experience. Yeah. Because, yeah, so... Was that the, that was the reason for the move, I assume, or do you yeah. want to give some context sure, on how that yeah, all played? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, um, kind of like my journey through this. So, um, when I was in high school, as I mentioned, I knew I wanted to do film. Uh, I applied to schools like USC, UCLA. Unfortunately, didn't get in. Um, I ended a- up, AFI? No, I actually never applied to AFI, even for graduate school, which is interesting. But sorry, AFI people. Sorry, <laughs> AFI. I, I had heard about it, but I always kind of loved that atmosphere of like a big university and like you know everything like that sorry AFI again sorry (laughs) AFI but um so I ended up doing my undergrad at UC Davis which is like right next to Sacramento um and then took like a year off I was working for the Sacramento Kings the NBA team was doing some video work for them and then in that time was also applying to grad school um USC was like the only school that I really seriously considered um, for obviously like its reputation, all of like the good things that I'd heard about it. And since having not gone in, got, gotten in during undergrad, um, you know, I really, really was looking forward to having the opportunity for graduate school. And so I applied, they have a three year um, master's in fine arts program in the School of Cinematic Arts, which is pretty much like what they're known for. Um, was lucky enough to get accepted for their spring of 2020 class. That's why I moved here um, at the very, very end of December 2019. So essentially January of 2020. Um, began that program and then two months later, we were shoved online because of COVID. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that was probably like the first hesitation maybe that I had as far as like, all right, like, online film school how how are we gonna do this because you know we're paying thirty six thousand dollars to uh use all this like top-notch equipment that usc has on campus to like gain access to like you know networking and amazing like class facilities however a lot of that is clearly limited once you're switched to being on zoom for eight hours a day in your apartment 
Um, and so I was still in the program from about March to end of October. And it was at the end of October that I did make the decision to take a leave of absence from the program. Um, I was going to ask, so what was, before we get to the ending bit, what sure. was the thought process uh, when it did go online only? Because um, I have a, a few friends that like were going to NIFA or, or whatever mm. the case was, it was all the same story right. where I came all the way from India to come study in LA and now it's online. And uh, so you, did you kind of, I'm assuming you just went with it in a way of like, well, I'll see. I think a lot of us were hoping that it wouldn't oh, be as right. long, you <laughs> know, know, as um, we didn't know. I don't think any of us knew that it was going to last like a year plus right I think um especially when I was getting like the the emails about it at first they were like hey guys um so we're just gonna take a week after spring break to like not come to class and then after that we'll be back in class and so the information we were getting was like you know right like, right around the corner right different updates you know they're pushing it back they're like yeah we'll be back in April oh we'll be back um definitely next semester in fall we plan to be fully in person no, no. So I think that like in a way that was kind of like a frustrating thing as well as far as like I think that like a lot of the students in the rest of the world kind of knew the reality of the situation. Like, yeah, we're probably not going to be in person for the foreseeable future. But like um, the university, like I think that there was still hope maybe that we could do like a hybrid, you know, type of thing or whatever. But when it came to it in fall, we were still online. Um, and I think it discouraged like a lot of students that had hoped that we'd be back in person. And as you mentioned, especially international students that literally came to America for this finite amount of time to experience, um, you know, not only education, but the industry as a whole. And so I think it was just, of course, you know, out of everyone's control, but something that definitely probably deterred um, some people, including myself, from, again, wanting to do something like online film school. Lovely. Yes. Okay. So you went through that process. Mm -hmm. You chugged through, powered through for as long as you could. As long as I could. <laughs> and um, it didn't, it just it kind of, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> I don't know what this is. So then you, you, you called it at a I point. I did, yeah. And I think that even if COVID hadn't happened, um, I still think that I maybe would have left the program, but maybe not as early. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a three-year master's program, which is oh, pretty long, pretty long. Um, I'm sure you know, you know that in this industry, you definitely don't need a graduate degree to be successful in film, nor do you need a bachelor's degree like or any type of higher education. Um, and I think that's what's beautiful about it. I think that that's a great thing about the industry being like very accepting and not having these like, you know, boxes you need to check uh, per se as far as when it does come to education as a lot of people um, are just not interested in like going to college for four years or just can't financially afford it. And I think that when I was kind of making the decision to leave USC, um, I had the privilege of, you know, talking to several mentors who had gone through the, the USC film program. Um, a lot of them are maybe in their 30s or 40s and now more well-established in the industry. So could, they could kind of like reflect on their time at, you know, USC and tell me their honest opinion about my particular situation, what I was struggling with and what I wanted to get out of the program and felt like I wasn't receiving. And so with taking their advice that they had to say, um, all of this kind of like amalgamated into my decision to leave the university. And I think that keeping in mind that the whole reason um, 
I came to USC was to get more experience in the film industry and have an easier transition with acclimating to LA, being from Northern California. And I do feel like the university did that for me. I'm, I don't regret going at all. I'm so happy with uh, the friends that I made and like the experiences that I had, but I think that it served its purpose and I was ready to, to kind of move forward from that. That's great. Nice. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Congratulations uh, for dropping out no, of uh, school. But well, yeah. I mean, making a making a big decision right. is worth congratulating, and that's kind of that was end of twenty twenty. Yeah. So in a weird way, it's kind of what jump started these three films this year. In a yeah. weird way, like when I first left the university, of course there was the panic and fear of like oh god like what am I gonna do with the uh the rest of my like life or the rest of like my three years that I thought I had (laughs) you know because I thought I had the next three years of my life planned out and you know coming uh to this program after undergrad I've been in school my entire life you know and like this was the first time like leaving this program where I was like oh no more not in school I'm like in the real world now and like I didn't expect this to happen for another two years so kind of had to like you know, switch gears and think about like, all right, like what is 2021 going to bring to me? And I think that having that kind of like motivation, but also slight, like I said, fear and and panic of like, oh my God, like what am I doing? Um, I really, it really helped me channel that like energy into like, all right, this year, 2021, I'm just going to make all the stuff that I want to make. And I'm going to try to put as much out there as I can and learn as much as I can. And um, yeah, that's what I tried to do. And here we are in December and Yes. Yeah. It's a great chance to recap on the year and uh, reflect. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's he. I mean, yeah, we're we're a year we're a year past. You're past uh, that. Past that, yeah. and you've done some cool stuff, and we'll. Um, okay, so how did you decide? Okay, how did you do? That's gonna be a dumb question here. I love asking vague, very broad, dumb questions. How did you? approach 2021 like how did what where did you start and how did you do it so madness incarnate as i mentioned um i had already started like brainstorming and prep on it in uh 2020 and so once 2021 came around uh we knew that we were going to shoot that film in fact we were actually scheduled to originally do production in december uh but due to covid um i made the difficult decision to postpone it just due to safety concerns and so we rescheduled our shoot to march instead of 2021 and that's when we did the thing and um you know again it's funny how things work out because i remember feeling so upset in December that COVID had like ruined like our shoot. And I was like, you know, everything was ready to go. We had again, like 15 to 20 people that were coming to set dedicated to the project. And of course, switching, you know, things up last minute is never like a fun thing to have happen. But, you know, it was the best decision we could have made again for people's safety. And then having those extra three months in pre-production to like really, really hone in on everything we needed to improve, whether that be the script, the logistics, uh, the casting crew, uh, what have you, we were able to, to iron all of that out. So by March, um, we shot like a very different film than we would have done in December, but I couldn't be happier with how that went. So Okay, <clears throat> so I guess... T- so the I recall around that time was that was our first winter with COVID. Yes. So that's when all the everything was peaking during the, the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That make that makes sense for sure. Because I know I hate pushing 
shoot dates. That's right. like the worst <laughs> feeling ever. Well, because I, I mean, I'm a big. I don't. I don't know how you've produced your previous work prior to that. Mm-hmm. But like, I know my mentality was always like keep the date and we can shuffle other stuff around the date but we're not moving the date it was always like my mentality but safety concerns it's a whole different story because mm-hmm. i had to push stuff because of covid too right so i'm glad that the additional time kind of was able to feed into you almost making a whole a whole different yeah, thing definitely um okay so how what <clears throat> during that time while you were prepping and stuff mm-hmm. how did you how are you making a living? How are you staying in LA? How does how does that all play? If if you don't if we if we if we could touch on that, I don't know. Yeah, sure. For, for um, those that want to do what you're doing. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So, um, as you know, you mentioned as well. Um, I do have a background in photography. Did a lot of that prior to moving to LA. It was definitely like a big source of income. Did a lot of like graduation shoots, events, stuff like that. Um, and again, because where I'm from in Northern California, there weren't that many film opportunities. So I kind of like channeled a lot of my energy into to the creative outlets that I did have more opportunity with, which was photography and getting hired out uh, to do things like that. And so coming to LA, it was something that I always kind of did on the side. But then, of course, after leaving USC, I had a lot more time to dedicate towards things like that. And even just working on like other people's sets, uh, PAing, doing like odd jobs um, that, you know, always open to in general being on set. And of course, um, for like bigger projects, you know, being a PA get like 200 250 a day you know not bad so plus there's always something to absorb from any experience too. absolutely even if it's a you know a quote-unquote a set that doesn't go well you can always learn something and take away something from that so okay so yeah kind of you're doing freelance yeah freelancing pretty much yeah I wasn't sure yeah great that's wonderful yeah still doing it as well but you know yeah. yeah yeah no it's super important to know so good to because I think when or maybe you can how because i can imagine there are people that want to be directors and want to be in la directing stuff but then when they get here um and they're not directing like it's hard to kind of can be discouraging yeah it's hard to sit back and be like why like i'm not i'm not here to pa or i'm not here to grip for you or whatever whatever the thing may be absolutely how did how what's your thought process on like balancing getting to that place um and i think balance is a great word already to use um because you know, like you got to walk before you can run. So it's not like, you know, immediately when I moved to LA, I was like, all right, like I'm going to be a director. I'm going to have these people working under me. Like I know exactly what I'm doing. Like, no, not, not at all. Um, it's for sure like a learning curve and I'm still like learning and growing. Like, you know, now I feel like there's so much, um, for me to still improve on, of course. Um, and so I think that, you know, learning a lot since I moved to LA, because again, prior to like living here, I didn't really like know a lot about like working on set you know I didn't know what's the difference between like a line producer or a unit production manager or like all these different you know positions that you can't just google and and find out like what these different people do and so I think that being on other people's sets is one of the most valuable things that you can do as a director because as a director you should know how every single position works on set um and therefore um being in those positions is really helpful to kind of like, you know, 
like center yourself and learn those things um, before you then go and try to like lead a team. And so, um, again, through like my year at USC, I was able to learn a lot through the exercises and the projects that we did and also being on other people's sets, whether they be other students, other people in the industry, mentors I had, um, et cetera. And so then once 2021 came up and I was beginning this, this film, Madness Incarnate, even working on that was was a journey with how it escalated with the levels of professionalism and just like the scope of the project, like, you know, the budget changed, um, the story changed, as I mentioned, and, and things like that. And so as all of that was happening, I would say that I was for sure learning as I went on. Like, it was kind of like Madness Incarnate was like the equivalent of being thrown to the deep end of the pool where I was like, oh, my God, like this is my first you know, legitimate project. And, you know, I either have to sink or swim, either I do the research and do the hard work to like learn how these things kind of like operate with an industry or, you know, I don't. And and it doesn't turn out, you know, maybe the way that I uh, envisioned it. And so um, maybe that kind of helps a- answer the question a little bit as far <laughs> as like, again, like working on other people's sets, kind of helping you yeah. uh, to become like a leader and a director. And you're not always going to be uh, the person like in charge, of course. So I think it's like really equally important to like learn how to be a good leader but also learn how to be a good collaborator and a good teammate and learn how to like kind of step back um during times where you know other people would have the opportunity to take the lead yeah understanding um other what what your collaborators needs are how to communicate with them and all that kind of stuff for sure and then i think it comes down to i know a thing that you um preach about through your projects or at least through through your messaging too is like comes down to that self-awareness mentality that (laughs) that you speak highly of so um it does take a lot of self-awareness and acceptance of your position and where you are in your journey like that's i mean that's a lot of self-work it is (laughs) I always tell people that like one of the hardest things about directing is not always the physical hours that you're putting into your work but also like the mental like backflips and you're doing to just like you know like to center yourself and make sure that you're in a good enough like state of mind to again like lead a team it's kind of like you know when you're on the the airplane and they're like you got to put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others and I feel like that's that's like can be applied to life on on a grand scheme (laughs) <laughs> I like it. I always think about that too when I'm on the airplane. I'm like, it's smart. <laughs> it's hard to. It's just like love too. You gotta love yourself before you can really properly give it. Yeah. Mask on, all that stuff. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. All right. Um. I I did want to know. I don't know I, I'm trying to. Okay, I'm trying to gauge when to move on to a, a new section, but I think we're good. Um. What did you, was there anything specific that you were doing to prepare yourself? Like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to assume a lot of things about this process sure, yeah. on, on, on this debut film where you said the budget changed, things are kind of like the pressure is mounting. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people are coming onto your production that like have more experience in you and what they're doing mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like how to even work with these people. So <laughs> what, <laughs> how, how was that? How what, was that yeah, like? like, where yeah. did you go and what did you do? Did you have a chance to shadow people? Did you right. have a chance, like what, what did you put on yourself to make sure you're ready? One of the things that you mentioned is something that I kind of want to touch on is, yeah, there were a lot of people on Madness Incarnate that at that time I would say were like, 
leaps and bounds ahead of me as far as like experience, knowledge, and just skill within the industry and like their position. And so that on its own was like intimidating because I was like, oh my God, like here I am like leading this, this team of people that I know is like, again, far more experienced than I am. And I think that a lot of people in the industry kind of go through like, you know, this like imposter syndrome, imposter kind of like mentality of like, oh man, like, um, are you familiar oh, with like? Oh, no, I was gonna say, well, it's, it's, like, it's a classic. Yeah, like who am I to even be here right now? Exactly. And why should they listen to me? And yes. what do I have to say? What? Why am I? Why am I special? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> small questions. Yeah, and I think that like, of course, I ask myself those questions a lot. Then I ask myself them now too, and I I don't think it ever goes away. I think it's more just something that you kind of decide if you're in front of it or not. You know. Um, and I think that like. That being said, um, when it comes to leading a team, I think that another thing that's really important is like, it's okay to like ask questions. It's okay to like not, you know, know things. Um, I feel like I've worked with a lot of people where it's like they don't know what they don't know. And I think that's the most dangerous thing because when you know like what you don't know, you, you're aware of like the things that you need to improve on or, you know, things that you may need help with. And that's the whole point of collaboration is like, it is teamwork. It is helping. It's not like, you know, I didn't, I, there was never a point in which I felt like, oh, I have to do this by myself. You know, um, I always felt very like supported with the team that I had and very grateful to have everyone that worked on that project be extremely like comforting um, and generous with their time and expertise. Um, in particular, my DP, my cinematographer, he taught me so much through that project as far as like not just things about camera, but like how things work in industry since he has been working um, in film for about six years. And so just having someone like that, that was Again, like generous, generous enough with their time to kind pa of patient, you know, patient as well to take me under their wing and, you know, kind of help me through these processes. And, you know, that's not a part of his job title. That's not a part of like what I hired him for. But again, like in this industry, like a lot of people, I think when they look at it from the outside, they see film as a really competitive place, especially Hollywood. But it doesn't have to be like that at all, like literally at all. I've never felt any type of competition or negativity from like the collaborators and teamwork team members that I, you know, trust to bring into these projects. You know, we're all about lifting each other up and like, um, again, like kind of looking at it as a united front. And so I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without like the amazing like support system and team members that I've had through these projects. That's great. And I love the message and I agree. I mean, you're preaching to the choir over here. I believe all that same stuff for sure. Um, <sighs> no, that sounds like a great experience, and I love it. How is, is this? Is this film done? What's happening with it now? So it's a. Uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. So we have. Um, again, not sure how like familiar you are with the film process, but we've done something that's called picture locking, which means that. I mean, I'm familiar. Are you talking to the... Okay, 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 cool. So you, yeah, all right. So for the camera, for those people who don't know, like when you picture lock a film, it pretty much means that the actual like picture, what you see on screen, that's done. Um, but that's the only thing that's done, you know, yeah. after... Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll, if yeah, I may elaborate. Yeah, sure, you want to elaborate on the post-production process, yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're going through with the editor, um, you're 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 playing with sequence you're playing with pacing you're like when do we cut from this shot to this shot and then once once you once all those decisions are final you call it locked and you can start handing it off right. to all the other departments that have to handle it sound and exactly. the composer and yep. color and all that stuff and yeah 
what you just said is exactly the stage okay. we're in right <laughs> now. No, that's that's perfect. So I've um, just finished with my editor to picture lock that, and now I'm working with my visual effects artist, my sound designer, my composer, and my colorist. Now you know they're the next kind of pieces to finish this out. Um, we've also we're getting we're getting a, a trailer ready as well, so that'll be mm. released sometime within the very near future to get everyone like excited. We also are going to be finishing out our last leg of crowdfunding. So Ooh. anyone who would like to support Madness Incarnate, um, me and the rest of the the team on this project, that would be awesome. I'm sure like Eddie will have social media links we'll or put, something we'll put, available and we'll, know, links and links in the yeah, description links and things in there and so um yeah we're finishing out the last leg of crowdfunding and again um maybe this is something we should kind of cover as far as i mentioned the budget you know did increase and with the budget increasing um one of the tools that we used was crowdfunding specifically i used uh, gofundme and so we raised a certain amount of money uh during pre-production and production and now we're raising money for post-production essentially to pay these lovely people that are working on the film and also to uh help us go to festivals as well yes can you talk for those that are that are interested in um or you know on the fence about supporting or not can you explain a little bit of the background and the behind the scenes of why a film would need to bump up its, or like if that was a plan from the beginning was, mm-hmm. or I'm assuming, I don't want to assume. What was the plan from the beginning? Yeah. Like? So the original plan with this film is when it was a student project it was literally going to be like me, two other students just filming this, <laughs> like with the actors and that's it, sure, right? And, changed, and none of us, you know, none of us are getting paid. We're doing this for a grade. We're, we're doing this for an exercise. Uh, then, of course, you know, as we took it independently, at first we were still using a lot of like students, a lot of volunteers, you know, people that were graciously offering their time for again, like something that's very like I don't want to say low level, but something that's very like ca- casual, like you know, shoot. Um, and then once it kind of like elevated into this realm of like no, like we're going to like you know, pay people for their time. And it was actually my, um, one of my collaborators, Sia, um, he was my co-writer on the project, one of the actors in the project as well. Um, him and I have known each other since college for about seven or so years. And, um, it was actually like his idea to say, you know, Hey, now that we're bringing more people onto this project and some of these people are not students, some of these people are people that, you know, are in the real world, they have bills to pay. And if they waste a day on set, not getting paid, like, you know, that's not, you know, something that we're comfortable with. And so from there, we thought, okay, let's pay the people that are not students. Let's pay the people that are doing this for a living, you know, really need the income. And then we thought, no, it's not right to only pay certain people, right? Yeah, so it's like, always kind of like a weird thing. Too. Right. Yeah. And so then we were like, all right, we're going to pay everyone now. And so within that, you know, of course, we had to discern everyone's day rates and like, what people were comfortable with. And um, again, I really appreciate that a lot of the people on the team, they did, you know, lower their, their day rates um, in respect to understanding that we did have a limited, you know, budget. For example, like we shot at um, Sia's apartment, you know, so no need for location, like permits, insurance, like costs. Like thankfully that was like, you know, um, complimentary as for the production in that sense. Um, and because of that, you know, th- th- those different scopes changing that's when we decided, okay, like if we're going to be paying people, we now want to kind of rent more prof- professional lighting equipment and not just have like, you know, like a, f- yeah. a few yeah. like. Yeah, if we're going to, yeah, if we're going to have these awesome people, let's put them in a position to succeed. Absolutely. Or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's where the whole mindset changed as far as like the budget um, and yeah. the scope. And then that's when we were like, okay, you know, I'm 
put some of my own personal savings into it. So did Sia as well. And then from there, we were like, okay, look, let's try to crowdfund to raise the rest of this money because we, you know, can't really afford to keep putting our own, like, investing into it. And so from there, that's when I decided to do the GoFundMe. And I'd never really, like, tried to raise money before. Yeah, so it was, a, ask, yeah. it was a learning experience in itself. But, yeah. Okay, very cool. All right. So, yeah, it starts from, like, a, just a student student assignment to leveling up to bringing in volunteers to paying certain people to paint everybody to getting them gear to now hiring tom hanks i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no um great yeah and that sounds about right so uh just to clarify the money primarily is going to the hard-working creatives yes. that uh, are passionate about supporting um the story right do you mind talking about the story a little bit yeah so to tell you well, i guess look we'll get into that now too so um yeah this story again um you know it was written during covid and, and because of that it was inspired a lot by the pandemic and um you know sia and i when we were coming up with the idea and like writing it together we had both been through a lot of you know similar and different experiences as far as like we both like live alone um in our apartments and like you know, like when you're by yourself during COVID, during lockdown. It's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. The thoughts, thoughts come in there, right? And um, as I mentioned, mental health has always been a huge, um, like, priority to me as far as like a topic and also myself you know I've struggled struggled with issues like anxiety and depression my entire life I've been in, in and out of therapy for years um, I've lost like several loved ones to suicide and things of that nature too and so I think that you know again bringing these stigmatized topics to the surface and talking about them more having conversations about these things is so important and so during Madness Incarnate uh, of course you know during COVID I went through the thoughts of like oh God, like, you know, can I do this film thing? Like, I'm not good enough. Like, you know, what am I doing here? And around this time is when I was leaving USC as well. So of course, you know, I'm feeling like, as you mentioned, all these pressures, all these doubts, all this like self-loathing and whatever. Um, yeah, on and top so, of all the isolation, yeah. Right, right. So which, you know, didn't make it better. Um, and also, you know, being away from my family too. You know, I went to, again, I went to college at UC Davis, which was like 30 minutes from Sacramento, now living in LA, which isn't that far. But, you know, during COVID when you don't even have the option to like go back and see your family safely, um, it can feel like a huge distance and chasm um, with just feeling connected to people. Um, and so a lot of Madness Incarnate is about being like your own worst enemy and about like, you know, you being the limiting factor towards achieving a lot of the goals that you have. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much of the surprise of the film, but I think a lot of my work in general revolves around like, as you mentioned, like the self and whether that be self-reflection, self-awareness, again, like um, self-loathing or just, you know, any type of like internal kind of like struggles and I think that's like these invisible things um that need to be like again spoken about like more and so in the film you'll kind of see a mix of like it's like a thriller it's a dark comedy it's very experimental it's kind of like a bunch of things like thrown into one and it was my first time uh you know writing and directing a film kind of of that genre and like of that like okay. that exciting. sort so it was it was um it was fun and then uh as far as the character in the, can you talk about who we're following in this story? Yeah, so our main character that we're following in Madness Incarnate, his name's Micah, and he's played by very talented actor Paul Rush. Um, the supporting character, Hakim, is played by Sia Zami, my co-writer, um, co-executive producer on this project. And so uh, Micah, he's essentially someone that's in the pandemic, kind of 
you know, you know, like during COVID where you would just like honestly lose track of like what day it was because you were just doing the same thing every day, the same pajamas like for five mm -hmm. days in a row. Yeah, I was there. I was there for that. Yeah. So he's definitely going through that. The beginning of the, f of the film takes you through this montage and you kind of see him doing the same stuff like day in, day out, like for months and months at a time. And then you can see that he's getting driven a little bit mad, a little bit crazy there with, again, being isolated, being by himself. Um, and he's a writer. He's struggling to like write this thing and he's just in his head. And again, um, all these things keep coming up to prevent him from getting what he needs to get done. And by the end of the film, um, you know, he kind of like overcomes a lot of these obstacles. But the way in which he does that, uh, I'll let the viewers, you know, <laughs> let everyone yes. wait for that. But we're going to watch for that. Okay, very cool. Good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I am looking through my phone as I speak. Um, I wanted to... Hmm. I don't know. I'll just re re recap uh, topics that uh, you like to showcase in your films and... Let me know if any of them stand out currently as yeah. the one you want to talk about. So you mentioned mental health. Mental health um, is a very uh, broad label, but um, mental health, racial, gender inequalities, body positivity. Um, which of these do we want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, no, these are all, uh, I love them all so much. I, I will mention, can I mention, the? I was thinking about it when I was looking through. Yeah. I watched uh, a couple of your your earlier films. Um, I checked out, which one, it was called Beautiful Bodies. Yeah, so that was the body positivity yeah. one, yeah. And then um, it made me think about a couple of topical things that are kind of happening more sure. recently. There's yeah, let's. Let's hash that out. <laughs> sure. There's um, Billie Eilish. There's Adele. Mm -hmm. And I know those are two recent examples of the the, boss, the body positivity messages kind of getting a little bit blurred and some confusion within, you know, fans and stuff like that where it's like a message has been delivered, but it's not being received. Right. And... I don't know. Do you have any thoughts or just generalities yeah. or, uh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I'm not like super familiar with like the Adele, Billie Eilish okay, like so situation, but I'm. I, I would love for you to fill me in on all, it. Yeah. All I know. Okay, so Adele, mm. huge music. Yes, music, familiar music with, with both of these, these women. Um, Adele recently, I think this year, uh, she had that image. Uh, she lost. She just lost a bunch of weight. Yes. She's been a uh, idol for you know it's like plus size. Yeah. People, right? And now she's she's thin now. Yeah. She she had a bunch of mental health, and she's like the gym was a safe haven for me. Okay. And I you know I feel better and I'm mm -hmm. healthier and you know people are kind of attacking her for she's like well you stood up for us for so long and now you're not on our team anymore and now right. we feel betrayed. We as you know, labeling a whole community as feeling the same way. So um, there's that, and then Billie Eilish has always been uh, positive on body, like wear what you want, or do, do be right. happy with who you are. And then she has recently done a couple of like uh, specialty photo shoots where she's like in lingerie or some specific mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. looks, where her message is still the same, where it's dressed what where, where makes you feel confident right. and, and be yourself. But then people are like, well, you're always wearing baggy clothes and now you're changing it up and you're not the same person. Huh. So, um, yeah, yeah, those are two things. Yeah, no, thank you so much for giving me that context. And I, I did, you know, I, I know about Adele's weight loss, like journey vaguely and stuff. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, there would be some maybe some controversy or uh, mixed opinions on that. And I think that with both these situations, it's really important to, you know, remember that like the media is the media, right? You know, like, I don't know Adele. I don't know Billie Eilish. Like, I don't know, you know, what they've gone through. I don't know, like, their personal feelings and emotions and journeys, like, with body positivity. And none of us do, right? Like, no one knows other than those women truly, like, what they have been through and, like, what is their mindset. And I think that it's very, like, easy for, like, as a society, as a third party, right, to be, like, to cast judgment and to be, like, oh, like, well, this person's doing this and this person's doing that. And I... I I try to stay away. And the reason I don't, I don't even know about like that stuff going on is I don't really, I don't know. I don't really stay updated with things like that in the media for that particular reason of like, again, the media is just the media. It's not real life. Um, it's kind of how like people say Instagram is like your highlight reel. It's not like Instagram is the reflection of like anyone's, you know, real life, like and who they are in all dimensions and, and, you know, sides of them. Right. And so I think that when we hear about these controversies and these tabloids, we're getting like a very one-sided perception of like these stories, of course. Um, And I think a lot of them are fueled by things like the media that, you know, these things sell. Like whenever there's something like a controversy, like I'm sure like, you know, ratings or this, that and the other, they go up, right? So there's like, we have to remember that there's a reason uh, for these channels, right, to essentially like manipulate society in a way. Well, I was going to say, I guess like the other bummer part is... um let's say for like Billie Eilish specifically is all she's doing on her end is she's like, this is something I want to do and I'm just going to do this photo shoot. And this is like a a one day thing that I'm, this is not like something I wear every, whatever the thing is I'm wearing the thing and then it just gets published and then the re- the public reaction right. is, is and this. she's made to be like painted as this terrible woman or something. And I think that's important too, is like, I think a lot of people look at artists, again, as unidimensional people. It's like, oh, just because she's wearing baggy clothes one day and she's wearing lingerie the next, oh, man, she must have changed. No, like, you know, like, I I don't think that's true at all. And I think that, you know, these ideas about what a woman should be, like, what a woman should wear, how she should feel, that's obviously extremely antiquated. And so um, I do have a lot of, like, empathy for people like Billie Eilish that are, again, just trying to be themselves, trying to, like, preach what they want to... preach to the media as far as her message of body positivity but that's being like backlashed and thrown in her face even though she probably had no intention um or good intentions right right exactly and that that like that really sucks because I think that like um that's something that I'm learning too like in my career is like you can have all these good intentions even with my films right like having these intentions to enact positive social change or you know make people more aware of things but I'm sure that there's going to be people that watch my work and don't get that out of it at all and think that it's like the opposite right and you know maybe someone saw beautiful bodies and thought it was the opposite thought it was about you know body shaming or whatever right like I can't And I think that's the thing is you can only control what's inside of yourself. And as an artist, you can only control like what you put out there. You can't control how people interpret it. You can't control like how it's received and that it sucks, but it kind of, it is what it is. Um, And again, that's why I take 
these controversies with such a grain of salt when it comes to like, you know, he said, she said situation. I personally, from the situation you described to me, I don't think Adele or Billie Eilish are doing anything wrong. You know, I think that they're both trying to live their best life. And if Adele made the conscious decision to be like, hey, going to the gym makes me happy and like eating more nutritiously, like makes me happy and she's doing it for herself. She's not doing it, you know, for her for her brand she's not doing it for other people if she's truly doing it because it's what makes Adele happy like I am happy for her you know but like that's all I can say right um right, that's yeah. a thing that's all all of us can, well, can really I think, do I think the other thing that I I like to do and I, you can let me know if you live your life any of any yeah. similar I do this thing and I think it annoys a lot of people around me <laughs> I I try to uh, do this thing. It's called giving the benefit of the doubt, and yes. <laughs> trying to think with the positive out outlook out, out the positive um, option uh, first is what I naturally oh, I tend to is like absolutely. Well, let's really think about this. Mm-hmm. Let's give let's give let's give the benefit of the doubt here. What is really going on? Agreed. And what do we not know? All right, cool. I feel. Yeah, that's a th- that's how I live my life, but it's yeah. It's not how a lot of people <laughs> live theirs. And I get it. I'm I'm 100% on the same page as you and I feel like you perfectly summed up everything that I was long-windedly, you know, saying. <laughs> um and yeah, and I think that like that's that's really what it is, right? Is like um giving people but the benefit of the doubt and also giving people grace as well. I think that's something that's, you know, really overlooked is like, I think cancel culture is like such a toxic, like Mm -hmm. idea that we have now. Like I think accountability is super important, you know, but as far as like just canceling someone because you see a tweet, you know, or like you see something completely taken out of context and, um, or whatever, you know, I don't, I definitely don't condone any type of, I feel like cancel culture is very similar to like this mob mentality, you know, thing, and it's just not, yeah, I don't, I think it's very counterproductive towards making progress um, in society with things, like I said, account- accountability, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Great words. I agree. I don't know. Um, yes. Words. <laughs> cancel culture. <laughs> it's, I feel cancel culture, because, you know, I don't know, this is a random, random thought here that's just coming to mind, but the internet is new for human society (laughs) and social medias are even newer and um it is interesting kind of living life now in the creative realm for like i've been in it for almost like eight years now myself pursuing the creative path Mm -hmm. so you almost i almost am noticing that I'm, i'm becoming more distanced from normal society that's more of an observer perspective than a living it perspective, yeah. which I think is really weird. Um, and I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> Something about social media. It's a new, you know, thing. Okay. The internet. It, it is interesting watching the shifting uh, ebbs and flows of society and how they handle, let's say, like cancel culture, where, right? where people are getting canceled left and right. And then now there's a little bit of skepticism on when somebody gets called out on something, people are a little bit more hesitant to pull pull mm-hmm. the trigger on mm-hmm. jumping on. Because it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's almost like a fad. It's like it's getting old. Yeah. And um, 
So I'm just curious to to see where it all kind of goes and how that all plays out. But Same, it yeah. Is, it is interesting. Hopefully it, it evens out to something a little bit resembling of healthy interactions. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. All right. Um, I'm debating whether or not to bring up a, another one of your films or any. Sure. I mean, it kind of it's kind of a good segue if you want to talk about sure. my second film, uh, documentary, Making Her Story, because it has to do a lot mm. with social media and some of these things that we've touched on. And you shot this one in June. I did. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, great. Yeah. Talk to us Thought about... The process behind that. Yeah. So... All of it. Making Her Story was, this, was probably like the most like rushed or like last minute project that I've like done, especially this year. Um, so kind of yeah. What talk- sparked it? Yeah. So kind of also talking about one of my other projects because okay. it directly relates to why I made this one. So Nirvana, the one that I, um, you know, just finished, I kind of completed that project under this uh, film grant that I received through the company Eddie Bauer. And so I applied for this film grant in April um, and I was told that I would be notified like in May, like if I had gotten it or not. And so I think they told us they would tell us on like, say like May 1st or something. And like, it was like May 15th and I still hadn't heard back. So I was like, uh, I didn't, I didn't get this. I probably didn't get this grant, which is fine, but I want to create something this summer. And so that's when I came up with the idea for making her story. I mean, later I find out that I ended up getting the grant. So congrats. uh, Thank you. Thank you. And so I ended up doing both projects, but in that time I was like, well, I'm not doing any projects this summer and I would love to create something. And so I was kind of thinking, like, what do I what do I want to make? And I was thinking about COVID and about how, like, social media. People were not on their phones, like, this this much prior to COVID. I think that, like, that's kind of a universal thing, that during COVID, um, everyone was on the Internet, like, way more. Because what else, what else are you going to do, like, it in your was, house? It was heavily promoted yeah. to do this instead of that. So, yeah. Exactly. And so just being on the Internet... In that way, um, it made me think about like the types of things that I've seen on social media, especially as a, a woman, and noticing how a lot of the media can be very toxic in the way that. So I first got an Instagram when I was maybe like 17 years old, but nowadays, like little girls, 12, 13 years old, they're they're out here on Instagram receiving the same type of messages, ads that we are about. Like, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman who wants to enhance her body or use Photoshop or use you know different tools. Like that is you know I think that's totally up to her discretion. But when a young child looks at these images of manipulated women, not knowing that they're manipulated images, thinking this is what I'm supposed to look like, this is what I'm supposed to be like, those can be incredibly damaging. I think that now we're seeing this rise of mental health issues within youth. Um, big Speci- reason. Specifically young young girls. Young women. Yeah. Yes. And again, it kind of relates to body positivity, that's relates like, that's to self-confidence. like crazy self-confidence. too. It's yeah. not even like just a subtle rise. It's, it's not. like a humongous, crazy, amplified, multiplied. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, seeing that is is really disheartening, of course. And so my kind of thinking was like, you know what? We need to have some more positivity on social media. We need to have messages on social media that tell women, hey, you know, it's okay. Like what you're going through, you're not alone. And also like your feelings are valid. I think that a lot of the times as women in society, um, we constantly 
get conditioned to like invalidate our own feelings because we think like oh like we get told all the time you're too sensitive you know you're a bitch or you know this and that and women all the time we shove you know these feelings like down that we have even if we know our gut instinct is like hey I'm in the situation that's I'm not being treated equally or not being treated right we a lot of time ignore those red flags because we've been told like no no like be quiet, like, and move on. And so, again, because of all these things that I've, like, noticed and have been amplified through the media, I was like, all right, we got to, we got to change this up. We got to create something else. And so I invited um, 19 of my, like, badass female friends to come, you know, speak on a lot of these things. And um, kind of how I came up with specifically 19 women is um, the 19th Amendment, pretty much in 19, the year 1919, it was when women, white women, received the right, the right to vote. Um, and that was only 100 years ago, which is not a very, like, isn't that crazy to think that, like, women only had the right to vote 100, like, what? <laughs> like, that's, uh, that's very recent. Very yeah. recent. Yes. Extremely recent. And again, like, that's only a certain type of woman. And it's not inclusive towards a lot of the people that should have been included. And... With that being said, I think it was important for us to reflect on in the last hundred years how far we've come, but also how much work there's left to do and how women are still nowhere near equal to men in society, especially women of color. Um, and so bringing these topics to the light, inviting these 19 women, each of them you know, spoke about matters that were near and dear to their heart, whether it be about you know, racial inequality, gender inequality, um, sexual harassment, um, women against women competition, because I think it's so important for women to support other women. And a lot of times, uh, social media, again, creates this divide amongst women. Um, and so we talked about a lot of these things, self-love, self-awareness. Um, and then we made this documentary. We shot it for one day. It was like a one-day shoot. Dang, 19 people 19 in one day. 19 women, yeah. So oh the scheduling of that was was hectic. And all these women, you know, they gave their time for free. We had, you know, no budget uh, at all on this project. You know, we paid people's, like, lunches and snacks. The studio that we shot in, um, PEG Studios, they thankfully gave us that space for free. And it was also really special for me to shoot there. It was their studios in Burbank. Um, that's where they shoot a lot of the the drag queen stuff with, like, RuPaul and, and, and such like that. And um, for me as a queer person, it was so cool, like, being in that space, like, making such a progressive documentary in the same spaces that these individuals have really, like, you know, pushed the limits and, like, um, just tried to, like, make people more accepting and aware of, like, these different types of identities um, and expressions of gender and sexuality. And so that was really special to me to do. And um, having that space was great. And then after that one day of filming, we ended up making this 10-minute uh, doc that can be found, you know, now on Instagram, Vimeo. And specifically, I never really wanted to put it into festivals or anything like that. It was something that was always meant to exist on the internet um, mm -hmm. because of these things that we're trying to talk about in combat. Lovely. So, yeah, sound, I mean, it sounds like a beautiful passion uh, piece because, like you mentioned, everybody had bought into the messaging and the right. and uh, the objective of the piece. And you know, it's great that you were able to get it. I mean, the one-day event sounds, from a logistical standpoint, it sounds like a lot, but yeah. definitely, definitely sounds worth it. So... What, uh, when, when did that, or, or how has that been, because it's, it's out now? Yes. That, that one I, I did not see. 
But um, so it's out. You can find it in both yeah. places. You can find it um, on my Instagram. You can okay. find it on Vimeo. Um, sure, links will be there. Links in, in, links in the bio, description. In the, in the description. Down there. <laughs> um, okay, and how uh, was the experience of putting that out and uh, getting getting that done and stuff? So it was um, it was kind of like a little bit of a rush process because we were aiming to release this on International Women's Day specifically. I believe that's. August 25th, if my memory serves me right, when um, they commemorated again the 19th Amendment. And that was the whole plan from the beginning is we're going to release this on, like, you know, National Women's Equality Day, right? So Right, you shot in June, aiming for an August yeah, release. Yeah, towards the end That's, of August. That sounds doable. Yeah, so unfortunately, during the process, we, we lost our editor and our producer kind of last minute. Uh, and therefore, we kind of had to switch gears to, like, you know, work collaborating with, like, other people. And so, um, you know, thankfully, I ended up working with the same editor who edited uh, my recent film, Nirvana, she, you know, took on this project as well, uh, making her story. And it was a, a little bit of a stressful thing for both of us because while we were getting ready to release that film, I was in Seattle about to shoot Nirvana. And mm. so I was like, you know, I would be location scouting in Seattle, like, Prior to our shoot, like during the day, we'd spend like eight hours, you know, going over location stuff. And then I'd come back to my hotel room and be in like six more hours of meetings, you know, to try to like finish this film and work with my editor and, you know, talk with her through like the cuts. Because, of course, you know, editing remotely is like a lot more difficult than sitting mm -hmm. next to my editor and like going through, you know, everything with her. And so um, that whole process, again, doing that remotely, doing that while I'm prepping for like a huge other project, it was it it's wasn't the easiest thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we did it. We did it, and, you and got we're it here. Done. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Okay, okay. All right. So, um, did you? Okay. So then, you got it done. We did. And did you release it on the day as planned? We did. We did release okay. it on the day. Yeah, we released it that afternoon. So, it all went according to what we wanted to do. Yeah, and then how do you gauge? This is. How do you gauge response to stuff that you make? Right. Um, so I feel like for me, and maybe you kind of might have picked this up in other parts of our interview, but like the whole reason that I wanted to go into this industry is to genuinely like change the world and help people. And I know, I know that sounds super cliche, but like, um, yeah, I wanted to find a way to, again, enact these positive social changes within the world. And like, I think film and media is such a powerful tool in the way that there's only so many people that I can personally meet and talk to and like touch and, and help, you know, but film and media allows for this instantaneous connection of like a limitless amount of people all being kind of like drawn towards this, you know, this, the central thing, whether it be, um, you know, a story, a theme, whatever, and it connects us through empathy, you know, the, the, of course, like basic human condition that all of us can relate to. And I think that like with my work, it's never been about like, oh, like, let me make, X amount of money, let me have X amount of people see it and like enjoy it. It's more about, hey, like especially with the documentary, if I can just help like one woman know that she's not alone and like help one woman from, you know, maybe taking her own life or maybe like, you know, making a decision that may impact her life negatively for the trajectory of that, right? Like if I can just help like one or two people, like my job's done. Like that's all like I really care about. That's all I really want from it. And so when I talk about the success of my films, like it's like, I don't know, because I don't, I mean, like, you know, I, I had a few people reach out and tell me that the documentary resonated with them and touched mm. them in a certain way. And, you know, that's enough for me. Like, I don't, again, like, sure. it'd be nice for a lot of people to see it, because I think that 
with more people seeing it, it would again spread this message of yeah, positivity. More, more effect, of course, potentially, yeah, more effect. Um, but other than that, that's the only reason I would want you know more people to to see my work. It's not really like, and this is something that I always tell my team when I'm working with them is I always say, hey, like it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about the producer, it's not about the DP, it's about the project, it's about the message, and it's about like how we you know want to um like touch these audiences and like try to like put these things out there into the universe and into the world. So lovely. Lovely. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, no that, that all right. Um no, it's awesome that you you got you got some lovely responses and it resonated and um especially additionally cool that this was something that kind of was a last minute decision just to throw together and you were able to get it done under you know essentially i'll just call it like kind of no no budget mentality and all that kind of stuff so so it's cool that it it exists at all it's always that's something to remind ourselves as well as filmmakers too that i think we hear a lot is uh there's a saying of like it's a miracle any movie gets made is uh is a thing people say um so yeah i think you're right like um i've talked to like one of my producers about this a lot how like a lot of ideas like kind of just die because they're like great ideas but then they just don't come to fruition because there's not like any follow-through and it's and it's hard um and i one of the questions you asked me earlier about like what advice or how would you tell someone to you know becoming a director like wanting to do this is you just gotta do it you just gotta do it you know like if you don't have any money (laughs) and you don't have like you know like in, in my situation um, right, a, a documentary, usually they're a lot cheaper to, to make a documentary than maybe a narrative film. And so I kind of like knew all these things and like with the limitations I had, I was like, what can I do? This is the thing I can do. So I'm I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes, for sure. We, yeah. I'll, I'll, I think we'll loop back to, to an advice section later. I did want to um, clarify um the doc a little bit more on uh the topics discussed that's kind of why it came up in the first place so what uh i guess for you specifically what were your biggest takeaways from making this piece and and yeah one of my biggest takeaways is so prior to shooting the doc i kind of did these like pre-interviews with like all the 19 women and it's not something that we wrote down it's not something that they rehearsed whatsoever it was more just like hey like i want to get to know you and like what and what topics are important to you because the way that we kind of scheduled it because we only had one day is each woman only had about 15 minutes to like do her thing you know and like so of course you know i'm i'm sure that each woman could talk about things for hours right so these pre-interviews were kind of meant to try to find out hey what is most important to you and what do you want to talk about during this and I will help guide that during our interview questions essentially and so when I was doing these pre-interviews number one thing that I noticed off the bat was wow like you know these are 19 women of completely different you know socioeconomic statuses ethnicities experiences and backgrounds ages ages as well you know some people um early 20s some people we had like a mother as well like a part of this journey with us and so um you know a lot of ranges of these young women and despite all the differences that each of us have we shared a lot of commonalities and i kind of touched on this earlier but the biggest number one commonality was 
every woman feeling to a certain extent um, like she had to has had to in her life invalidate, you know, her own feelings or think that she's like delusional or, you know, crazy because of what society has like been made to tell her again, um, been made to, you know, make her feel that she has like this, this dis distrust of her own emotions and feelings and intuition um, and stuff like that. And I think that like that was probably like the biggest takeaway as far as like seeing like, wow, like, isn't it crazy that like, again like even though everyone's had different experiences we all kind of feel this way we all kind of feel like wow like we've been you know treated this way by society each woman probably told a story about like how she either was sexually like um, harassed or taken advantage of at one point in the industry in her career and or how she was made to feel extremely inferior solely on the basis that she's a woman in a male dominated you know workforce as far as like you know men taking credit for ideas that women have or you know women working five times as hard to get equal or less credit in the workplace um or i could imagine like the the woman taking the blame for right. something happening or that, that too. Sort of thing too yes and of course you know that happens all the time with sexual harassment where women are like oh well like the whole she was asking for it mentality of like oh like like one of the women in the documentary she spoke about how sometimes when she goes on set she finds herself dressing more masculine not necessarily because she always wants to but because she wants to avoid like problems honestly and the fact that a woman has to do that and limit her gender expression and or limit her even fashion <laughs> expression, right? Um, because we're afraid of people preying on us or afraid that people won't take us as seriously. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yes. I've also heard women say that they do that and it still doesn't really help. Right. And exactly. So it's like, how can we... A, How can a, we win, right? It's a, a no-win scenario yeah. uh, pitch yes. messaging messaging pitch that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, again, it's why it's so important to talk about these things because I think that the more these things are talked about and challenged, of course, then we're going to start asking each other and ourselves these questions when we are going into these spaces. And I think that mm -hmm. something that's really important is like, you know, yeah. even though the documentary was all women and it's all about women supporting women, of course, I think like men and, um, you know, other people do need to kind of jump on the train of helping out and advocating like, you know, for these types of messages as well, because, you know, it can't just be like only women caring about like, you know, women's rights. Um, and I think that like, you know, there's this topic of like a lot of men are like, Oh, like I don't, I don't want to be classified as a feminist. I don't want to like, you know, you know, have this label, but it's like all being a feminist means like, you know, for you, you know, for a man to yeah, help support yeah, is yeah. you just believing that like women should have equal opportunities and respect and rights to that of men, you know, and yeah, that's e equality. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's something that's so controversial, something that like should be like immediate no brainer and immediate like quote unquote right or wrong, like moral dilemma. So it's interesting how like, again, something that seems really like maybe obvious to people like me and you these are things that to a big part of the world especially people outside of california right like a lot of the u.s outside of california is not as progressive and not as open-minded with things as even like women's equality and so um so yeah yeah i guess um do you have any how how do we uh, what, what, what what solutions what, what can I offer? The question is what what could I do? Is I, what can you do? But yeah, like, I'm a man. 
Yes. And I am on set with women. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... The question always comes down to, I guess, awareness is... is Absolutely. Is, is definitely a big step. Mm-hmm. And then there's another step of some sort of... Right. Act. I was, I'm not sure if the right word is activism or, like, mm-hmm. some sort of action. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like... That's something that I've had, like, other male friends, like, ask me, like, how can I be more of an ally to women? How can I, you know, help this this problem and not be a part of it? Um, and it's not just, like, it's not just one thing. I think it's, you know, similar when we're talking about a lot of these issues as far as, like, women's equality, racial equality, and also, like, again, the LGBT plus community as well, like, us receiving that, that equality and, and respect. Um, it can be seen across the board as far as, like, I think that a lot of people are almost kind of scared to ask questions sometimes. Like they're like, oh, I don't want to be seen as like sexist or stupid or this and that. So I, I'm not even going to like ask. And I'm just going to like assume, oh, this is how you would want me to handle a situation. When mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times like it's okay to like ask, like say you're on set, you know, you see a woman uh, talking with a, a man and she might look a little uncomfortable or she might look like, you know, they're off in a corner or whatever. Simply just going up to her and being like, hey, like, are you good? Like, or, or you know, I just saw you guys like, you know, here just checking in, like, and if she's good, you know, just leave her be. And if she's not, then I'm sure that she would appreciate someone coming and, you know, checking in and simply just asking her and checking in with her. And that's a lot of the thing that people don't really do. Like sometimes like, you know, like again, if someone just came up to me and just checked in with me and asked me, Hey, like, how have you been feeling on the set? You know, cause I have had situations on set where people, mostly men have mm-hmm. made me feel uncomfortable um, in a certain way as a crew member, you know, and I think that it's even more important, like, for actors and models and women that, you know, are in these positions of, like, being in front of the camera yeah, vulnerability, and, st- yeah. and vulnerability, exactly, too, like, whether that be physical or emotional vulnerability, even more so important to check in and make sure that these women feel safe and supported, especially if it is a little bit more of a male-dominant set, Um And yeah, just being like, again, like you can never, I feel like you can never be too considerate, right? You can never, (laughs) right? Like no one's going to like be upset at you for for kind of checking in and being like, hey, like, are you good? Like the, you know, the worst they're going to say is like, yeah, I'm good. You know, you don't don't ask them again, right? But I think that a lot of times people don't even ask and people don't even bother to be like, hey, how is is everyone, you know, doing on set? Not just the women, because I think that, of course, it's important to notice that uh, sexual harassment and these, like, these tensions um, can also happen, of course, to men as as well and um, non-binary people. And so it's not specific to women, but it does tend to happen more to women than anyone Mm -hmm. else. Is there any, how do you run your sets? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I was just, just talking to someone about how, like, I feel like as a director, um, yeah, you're the one, like, running the show. Yeah, and you set the tone setting in, the tone, in many, yeah. many ways. And speaking of that, I think that's why it's so important to lead by example and always, you know, have a lot of integrity as you move into your work. Um, I think that's something that's, like, really, like, looked over in the industry a lot is having this source of integrity and like you know doing the right thing when no one's looking and also like setting the standard for what you want like on your sets and what you want with your collaborators and I always say even though the director is the one running the show and like you could argue like oh they're like a the most valuable person on set I don't really necessarily believe that's true I think that like every single person is of equal value on set even like the PA the grip the person getting the coffee like we can't do it without them. You know, the person picking up the trash, it doesn't matter. Like everyone is so, so, so important, like on a set, you know? And so I always like, you know, whenever I work on something, I will 
always make sure to know your name. I'll always make sure to, you know, like personally like talk to you and thank you and make sure that you're doing well on the day that we get to set. Because I feel like, again, like part of being a leader is like I could be the most like creative, visionary, auteur, like talented person ever, which which I'm not. But like say hypothetically say that I'm this, <laughs> sure, you know, like sure. this big visionary that's like an amazing director. What you are. Oh. Go on. Go on. But who cares about that if people don't want to follow me? You know what I mean? Like if people don't like believe in me and trust in me. And I think that, again, it comes with a lot of a lot of the rule of reciprocity is like I, you know, the same type of respect that I expect from people like on my set. That's the same type of respect that I'm going to be giving. That's the same type of effort. Um, And, you know, again, consideration. Like I always like to, again, have personal discussions with every single person that's going to be on my set I know a lot of directors they'll have like 30 people on their set not know half the people's names and like to me it's just like come on man like they're all here helping you for your vision so the least you can do is again like give them like that sense of like hey like like we're in this together because truly it is a team and it is collaborative and so whenever I lead you know on set and I go forth with it of course we're we try to like always set the good tone have a good vibe coming into set you know we're playing some music or you know just getting into it like when we're first setting up you know to set again set that tone of like okay like we're here for a purpose we're here for a serious you know thing of like we have a job to do but it's going to be an enjoyable job. It's going to be something that I want people to leave like with the experience of like, Hey, like not only did we make this cool thing, but I met some cool people and I had a good time. Like that's always like kind of the experience I want people to, to have. And of course, you know, to come back and, and want to work together again too. Yes. That sounds like a great set. I like that. I like it. I think about, um, your short film again beautiful body bodies i think the last line in the whole short film she's on the phone with her mom and she says all i wanted was like all i wanted was to be heard yeah so i feel like you definitely understand people's wants and when you're on set with your collaborators regardless of who they are what position they are in and letting, making sure that they know that they are being heard right. and they are being seen and Absolutely. they are being appreciated. Absolutely. And uh, that you're kind to them and that you respect their time and their and their efforts. Right. That's kind of like everything. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like everything. It is, you know, and, and it's like... Uh, yeah. With what you said about, like, being heard, I think it's really important, you know, a lot of the times, especially now, people talk about visibility. And I said this in one of my interviews with the articles that it's, I think it's kind of like a trick question because it's like not really about being like seen. It's about like being heard and truly being listened to, whether that's, again, like, you know, messages you're trying to put in your films or whether that's like making the films and like making sure that every person feels like they have, you know, a voice. And of course, you know, there's a certain point professionally where you do need to kind of set those boundaries as far well, as like, you know, yeah. not taking every little opinion. Well, I mean, there's, there's a difference between a voice and a creative decision and Absolutely. a voice on like safety or otherwise. Yeah, Absolutely. But for sure. Yeah. And so kind of navigating that is like something that I'm still like working at too, is like separating these boundaries and also kind of separating the personal and professional like within this industry, because I mean, it's film, you end up working with a lot of your friends and you also end up becoming friends with a lot of the people that you work with, which is awesome, but Mm -hmm. also like the hardest thing ever. (laughs) In terms of balancing the the friend versus a professional or how do you? Yeah, like, well, I feel like it's hard because 
you know, like a lot of the times, you know, you have like a friend that you believe in, you want to give them an opportunity, but they may not be, they may not be the best person for the job. And you kind of got to think to yourself, like, you know, again, when I was first working on Madison Carnet, I kind of was just bringing a lot of my friends on as like volunteers who were, you know, greatly talented people. But once I started, mm-hmm. once I kind of started like um, switching over to like, you know, trying to like hire professionals in these roles, I found myself, you know, going through the interview process and hiring genuinely the best, the person with like, you know, like not only the best resume, but the person I thought would fit the vibe and the kind of mold of the set well, as far as getting along with people, treating them with respect, treating them, you know, how they should be, um, like I said, like treated on set in general. And so I think that like, again, when working with friends, it can be kind of hard because, uh, especially if you're like me, like I'm, like I would definitely describe myself as an empath and like very much so like mm-hmm. a loving, nurturing person. It's like I want to help all my friends and people I care about like get to like where they want to be. But again, it's that line of like, okay, like I want to help these people that I like really care about. But I also want to be impartial and fair to a degree of like not just hiring people like for like, you know, the spoil system. You hear about that all the time in the industry where people just get hired because of their family or because of their money or because of their connections. And like that's not really something that like obviously I condone. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that, again, you got to hit that mark of like, when you have a friend that's like a great friend, a great collaborator, they're doing their job and it's great teamwork, then, you know, you're getting all the best, best of it in one. Yeah. And I'm sure you're trying to find that balance again, too, with like, hey, I know you've been supportive and you've you've been a part since the beginning. And not that this happened with your film, but Mm -hmm. like, I know you're normally my cinematographer, but this is like a this is like a, a real thing now. Right. And I hired this other person. I am definitely happy to introduce you to them and see if you can come AC for them or whatever the Absolutely. case is. But I guess ideally having that communication and uh, transparency is um, yes. the key because otherwise they're going to yeah. be left assuming a lot of things. And that's that's exactly it. Communication and transparency. I think that both those things. People people talk about them a lot, but I think that putting them into practice, um, it's it's easier it's, said than done. It's, it's not standard film yeah. practice to be transparent. Right. And it's something that, like, I think that I'm also trying to navigate because I'm one of those people that's, like, I'm almost, like, too honest. Like, sometimes I can be a little too blunt. Do you have, do you have <laughs> an example? So, you have an example for um, us? Like, I feel like sometimes, like, I don't know, not a specific example, but I feel like, you know, how some people are like, oh, well, let's let's like hide this or not, you know, tell the whole thing about this. I'm kind of like, no, I feel like everyone needs to know like the whole like situation and this, that and the other. And I think that sometimes it's all, not always necessary. Like in the industry, I'm kind of like learning like which people in which positions might need to know certain information and which people may not. Um, not not in a way to like keep something, but in, in a way to not panic and try to, you know, solve, resolve an issue before it gets brought, you know, to like um, other members like on the team or whatever. And so kind of like, navigating like those paradigms I think of like just again professionalism and a lot of it is business not necessarily creativity too mm-hmm. of of course a lot of film is looking at it from that like business producing logistical like, yes. standpoint I think that's a huge yeah. element for transparency right. and opportunity right um I I have an example I guess just to throw examples out sure yeah um <clears throat> I directed uh, a little little indie feature earlier this year, mm-hmm. and I'm a big advocate for uh, trying to have a shorter day. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I the standard film day in this industry 
the standard working day in the film industry is a 12-hour shoot. Right. Is the expectation. You're getting paid for a 12-hour day. It's what your rate reflects. Mm-hmm. And depending on the producer slash director slash DP slash the entire operation, there's usually somebody that wants to get as much out of the day as possible. Yes. Me, when I'm a producer or the director, combo ideally, like this last one I experimented with, we're going to do 10-hour days was, mm-hmm. was my pitch. That's awesome. And then I was transparent with my crew too. I was like, guys, I know we're out here and you're used to working 12, so you're down you're there they've bought into it and they're passionate and they're like we'll work as long as we need to work i'm like no <laughs> we're doing 10 hour days i just want to clarify this is what i want i'm not doing any more right. than that so sorry <laughs> but there were specific days where we had like it was like if something does come up i will be open and transparent about you know like we do need to go above the 10 right we do have a, a shorter turnaround this one night than what we normally have and i hate short turnarounds same um so, me communicating that up front, everybody was prepared for the one time they had a short turnaround right. versus like, hey, surprise, everybody. Uh, surprise, you're no one gets at, any sleep. Yeah, that, that whole thing. Right. So, I in that way, yeah. I love, uh, again, just doing the transparency thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's like really important um, for sure to be like, transparent about like as much as you can be and I think that also like again um part of transparency I think is again being able to not be afraid to ask questions and like admit when you're not really sure like what to do in in, in a situation right and I think that like some directors they think like I have to be perfect I have to like no one can see if I'm like struggling or confused or need help like I have to know exactly what to do because I'm like the person running the show where that's again I don't think that's true at all I think that like you know um, for example, when we were doing that shoot in C- uh, in Seattle with Nirvana, it was our first time shooting outdoors completely, which, you know, you're battling the sun in addition to like your day, which is like Yay. incredibly uh, difficult, <laughs> yeah. especially All shooting. All the elements outside, yeah. Absolutely. And shooting out of state somewhere that none of us have been before. Also like a lot of, um, a lot of like, I guess, like anxieties, like within that context. And um, of course there'd be times where, you know, we would have to like just last minute change like a bunch of our shots or change a bunch of our schedule because of like, oh, this, you know, the sun's not where we thought it would be or, oh, this like location isn't exactly how we thought it would go. Um, Because again, we we flew out to Seattle or I flew out to Seattle like just a few days before the shoot. None of us had seen Seattle like or any of the locations we were going to prior to that. Um, And being able to like trust my team, be like, hey guys, um, so I know that we're behind by like an hour that's not bad. Uh, do you guys think that we should, you know, cut this or do that? I think it's okay, like, again, like, as a director to, to ask these questions to, like, the trusted, you know, members. Not to throw this out to, like, all 20 people that are on set, but, like, you know, to ask your producer, ask to, your to DP. The, to the keys, like, your AD, DP, kind of the, Absolutely. the core unit. Yeah, yeah, and, like, it's okay to lean on them and, um, you know, like, I don't want to say depend on them, but to, you know, like, I think they depend, are reliable d- people. A good word. Yeah, depend on them to, to help out when, you know, there are times when, you know, you... Um, want to be like aware of like all the things going on and ask like hey like what do you guys think like for your positions is the best idea of how to move forward with this and whatever because again like you know as the director I know enough about camera but I'm not a DP so I'm not going to know all the specifics as to like how long it takes to rig this this thing or yeah whatever. no I think that's I think that's a great way of going about it is everybody uh, has their unique uh, perspective on right. the scenario and the AD is going to pitch, well, I think this is best. The DP is going to pitch, yeah. well, this is good for me. And then you'll be like, 
Exactly. Let's find the happy middle ground here. Exactly. And that's that's a huge part of transparency and communication is to even like ask those those questions and not keep them to yourself and not just like try to move as yeah. a um individual, but to you to move as a unit. Is there anything to talk about with this uh this crisis text line piece that you put together? Is sure. There there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can definitely speak on that. All yeah. right, let's talk about uh, ah. how do I define this? Is this a short? So was, is this a commercial? Yeah, what is this? It was kind of like a narrative uh, promotional like video, I would say. Uh, yeah. Crisis text line. Yes. Text line. Text line. This was for UC Davis. It was. During yeah. your undergrad. Yeah. Or? So I yeah. completed this project um, in my like last year when I was at Davis, and essentially, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, um, I have had like a lot of experience within the mental health health range, and I think that what really inspired me to take such a big interest in it, like with my career specifically, was um, after seeing a few loved ones in college specifically, you know, take their own life. And um, I also had a housemate in college where um, thankfully she is still with us today, but she attempted to take her life twice while we lived together. Um, and she's like, you know, still a great friend of mine. And again, so happy that she's here with us. But I think through those experiences, it really affected me very deeply um, because I already struggled with mental health in general myself, as most of us do. Um, but seeing it so close and seeing that it's, again, it's oftentimes the people that seem the happiest that are hurting the most. And you really never know what someone's going through, regardless of how they look on social media or even in real life. Right. Like you never you never know. And so. Um, from there, I ended up making this short film for a class. It was called uh, Get to Unknow Me. And it was essentially this kind of story about this. It was very much so inspired uh, by the situation with my housemate. And she actually helped, you know, on the project. She was very supportive of it. Um, and it was about this young woman who, you know, she seemed like she had it all good grades, like friends, all that. And um, by the end of the film, she she does attempt to take her own life. Um, and it kind of goes to show, again, these kind of like invisible uh, like almost like invisible disabilities, like in a way as far as like mental health and, you know, again, like different things, whether that be depression, anxiety, um, you know, I also know people like that are bipolar or schizophrenic or have other types of mental illnesses as well um, that oftentimes they are misunderstood and, and overlooked. And so after I created that uh, film, Get to Unknow Me, it was shown at the Davis Film Festival and then from there the University UC Davis they saw it and they're like hey really like what you've done um, we are launching a new um, like app or like new like program through the mental health and counseling services at UC Davis um, they said hey we're going to be the first UC to launch this thing called the crisis text line eventually it's going to be adopted by all the UCs like you know all the eight UCs that they have um, but essentially it's somewhere where you can text like a number and you'll be instantly connected uh, anonymously with someone to help. And, you know, they'll then connect you to s further people if you need further assistance, essentially. But it's just someone, like, immediately say that you're alone. You feel that your your own life or someone else's life is in danger. You can very quickly get this 24-7 uh, relief, you know, as a student. Um, and, and, and it kind is, of... This is a text, so you'd get a text response? Or this you get a, somebody on the phone to talk yeah, to Yeah, so you? you would probably... You would get a text response first, and then they would point you to options okay. as to, like, if you would like to receive a call, if you would like to be connected, uh, say, to, like, a psychiatrist or, you know, because these people, like, working for the phone line, they're not, like, licensed, like, therapists gotcha, gotcha. or psychiatrists. They're volunteers, from my understanding. Um, but they are able to help connect if, if it's needed. You know, sometimes it can just be solved by just talking to one of these peer counselors. Um, but if it escalates, 
they'll point you in the direction of further resources, essentially. Um, and the reason that they did this is also at the university, they did have a few suicide incidents at the school. And then this is also what, you know, made the university realize, hey, we really need something for students to feel, you know, safer, to feel not alone. And the way that the text, the crisis text line was kind of like promoted is you don't have to have a mental illness to to use this you know you can just simply be stressed out with the normal stresses of college and finals and a lot of people have mental breakdowns literally just because of, of tests right and they've never had a history of like any type of test anxiety or anything like that before it's very circumstantial as well and so having a place where these students can you know then go because a lot of people they don't feel comfortable like going in person to see a therapist or going in person to you know have an appointment with a peer counselor because they don't want to be judged they don't want you know people to see their face know their name etc um, and it goes to show how stigmatized mental health treatment still is which is unfortunate um, so this is also a way for those individuals who may mm -hmm. feel not as comfortable being um open and outward in public about their struggles, they can now have a place to pretty much still receive, like I said, start receiving help um, in a way that makes them feel like comforted. It's very important. How, <clears throat> yeah, it is It is a difficult thing, I, I guess. That's very cool. What was, I don't know, just to slightly stall, yeah. but talk about the, the project still, what did you, what was the end what did you end up shooting what was the yeah so this was also one of those no budget <laughs> projects sure, sure. as i'm sure that you can imagine um it was literally just me and one other person i worked with um my friend who was essentially doing camera stuff his name was christian um he helped me film everything so he was like technically the dp on that project um i wrote produced directed and then the both of us edited the project together so it was literally just us and you acted um, no, so the, so we had uh, actors in okay. the film, but not not trained actors. It was more like student volunteers that, again, mm. like you know, wanted to be a part of the film. And I think that like we did have like one lead, um, and for that position, we did I think interview like three, you know, people that like wanted to be a part of it, and and we selected her. Mm -hmm. um, and then other than that, everyone else we did not interview. We were just like, hey, like who can literally anyone that can come help us out while we're shooting on this day, please come. And that's pretty much how it happened. Um, literally anyone. Literally anyone, and so. That's pretty much how that went again. It was no budget, not much planning, no crew at all. It was literally just me and this guy sure. like going in with these actors, not not yeah. actors, uh, to you know film this. So we shot at a few locations. We shot at maybe we shot um, in a classroom on campus, in the quad area outside. We shot at the gym. We shot um, in like an indoor lounge area, and then we also shot at my house as well. So we had five locations uh, for this shoot. We did it over the course of like a couple, like maybe like two months and as far as like planning, shooting, editing, okay. all that. So it was yeah. a pretty quick like process. It was like in the spring. So it was like like my literally my last semester, I think, of like yeah. senior year. So it was like pretty hectic, but um, a good experience nonetheless. I think that, again, like working with on projects like that where I had no team and no budget, now that I do, it's kind of like, you know, forced me to like learn, you know, how to do some of those things, some of those positions. So now it's like, I, I am more like, I guess, prepared or like knowledgeable about how to go about that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah. I mean that mentioned, yeah, we mentioned that a, a couple of times uh, now that the, any experience is beneficial in one way or another. Um, but no, another example of a, of, 
of pushing through and getting getting an extra thing done and yeah. and getting another important message out there um because I mean, this text line is definitely an option, and this sounds like this is for college folks specifically, yeah, specifically that attend yeah. these UCs. Because mm-hmm. um, I had a I had a note here that I was going to ask based on all of the projects and, and stories that you've done so mm-hmm. far. Um, that might be good to kind of recap, um, whether it be any of the topics we've discussed in terms of mental health or uh, gender inequalities or racial or what, like anything, kind of the, the ask, I don't know if it's, this is the right wording, but like the asking for help or Mm -hmm. uh, aspect of having the experience or seeing somebody that, Need, like, I don't know, it's hard to <clears throat> be somebody witnessing something yeah. and offering help or how, the, or even just for a friend, how, how can we be there for others right. and how can I, as experiencing something, totally. what are, what are some yeah. things there? I think that's, it's a hard question mm-hmm. uh, because I think that like, so I'm sure you've heard like the golden rule is like treat others how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. But nowadays they're kind of going by something called the platinum rule where it's like instead of treat others how you want to be treated, the platinum rule is like treat others how they want to be treated. And I think that's like something really important to note is like, you know, when I'm going through something, what I may need or want out of a friend or a support system is, could be vastly different than what you need or want out of, you know, that situation, right? And I think that it's why... It really just depends on a case-to-case basis. I think it, you know, depends on the, the person, the nature of the relationship you have with them, you know, where both of you guys are, like, in your lives in that specific moment in time. I think all of these circumstantial, like, things um, kind of, like, add up to, like, evaluating them on a case-to-case basis. Like I said, I don't think there's any, like, one sure. right or wrong way to approach someone. But I think, like, overall, again, I think it's good to just check in and ask someone like what they need you know like you know if if you notice that one of your friends has been like kind of MIA I'll give you an example of my personal life right like so sometimes I have friends right that kind of go MIA like I'll notice like oh well I haven't talked to this this person that I usually talk to like almost every day it's been like two weeks I haven't heard from them I've tried reaching out to them and they haven't like answered or they've been like very short or like whatever and so in cases like that, sometimes I'll literally just like ask the person and t- shoot them a text or give them a call and be like, hey, like, hey, Eddie, um, just noticed that you've been like a little like MIA lately. Um, totally. I totally uh, understand if you've just been busy doing your own thing. If that's the case, totally feel free to disregard this message. But if you are going through something, like just know that I'm here for you and I love you and um, that's it, you know? Like I'm not gonna push you to have a conversation. I'm not gonna, you know, probe and ask you about your life. I'm just, I'm just here to let you know, like, hey, I, I'm here for you, I got you, I care about you. And you know, that that's all like, that's all, you know, someone really okay, needs yeah. to, to hear in these moments, yeah. That's, that's a great suggestion. I like it a lot. I know um, I work for, I, I freelance as a script supervisor. Mm-hmm uh as well it's my bread and butter yeah first day out here in los angeles i'm really good at it <laughs> what i was gonna say is um there's this company that i've 
done a lot of projects with because um, they do recurring streaming content for their service. It's for this uh, for this veteran television uh, little network. So they make content for military veterans. Oh, cool. Um, which, uh, what's the word? Historically, it's known that people coming back from military experiences experience high mental health. Right. A lot of mental health issues, Absolutely. high suicide rates, all that kind of stuff. So they make like comedic content joking about experiences and so you can laugh it off versus mm. like have to watch those army ads where they glorify the right. experience and stuff. So one thing that they push through their through their content is they have the little, you know, like end of video bites where you hear from the actors and like, hey, text a friend, do like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So Similar thing where they their excuse right. is like just reach out and say hi, um, and just kind of like you know I guess ideally it's a, it's a whole win win if they're like oh I you know watch this show or I just laughed at this thing this is or let's laugh yeah. about our experiences together. Totally. Um, so just the just the reach out and be like hey friend, what's up dude? Exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, it's it, it is difficult um, knowing yeah. what people need, right? Even with the communication, it's just difficult. It's hard. It's always hard, you know, because you know none of us are mind readers. So it's like, of course, there's going to be times where none of us handle a situation perfectly as to what the other person would prefer, you know, um, and that's okay. And I think that like. Again, in, in situations where that happens, um, you know, for example, like there's been situations where I've been like with a friend or a collaborator and, you know, um, there's like unintentional like hurt feelings or, you know, tension and, and stuff like that. And I think that like one of the things that's like also really important to address is like I hear this type of conflict happen all the time with like friends and collaborators. And I think a lot of it has to do with self-awareness and mental health is that say that like, you know, I say that you you are mad at me for for something always ar- arbitrary reason eddie's you know upset with I'm me a very angry person and yes. uh uh-huh. and i don't think that i did anything wrong i think like a lot of people their first instinct is to get defensive be like hey eddie like i didn't do that i i didn't you know like i didn't disrespect you i didn't do this and that when it's like that's not really like in my opinion the best way to handle the situation i think that if someone comes to you especially someone you care about comes to you with you know hurt feelings the least you can do is, is validate those feelings, whether you agree with them or not. So say you come to me and you're like, hey, Olivia, um, I feel like you disrespected me like in our last meeting. And, and if I feel like I didn't if I feel like I didn't do anything wrong, that's not going to prevent me from being like, hey, Eddie, I, you know, I'm really sorry. Um, I did not in any way mean to make you feel that way. Like what what can I do moving forward to, you know, improve or, you know, can you help me understand like what I did? Um, so that I can learn from this and take this, you know, with me and stuff like that, right? Because that's one of the things is like you don't have to agree of like what happened or he said, he he said, she said, but like someone's feelings are always right, you know. Like someone's like you know again like as if they feel you know hurt, yeah, they there, feel disrespected. Some, like there, it's yeah. real, it's real, it's real to them. So you know, if it's real to them, like it's real to me as well. And like I said, even if I don't understand it or agree with it, of course, I'm going to, you know, still try to make amends and, and do right by that person. I think that should be carried um, with this, these topics of mental health, especially too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's trying to, trying to boil down uh, the interaction and mm-hmm. 
seen what's there because i mean i know i know on both ends like there's there's the intent on right. one person's side exactly. and then there's the effect. the the effect the yeah. reaction and sometimes there's something they don't always like we're like i don't even align. know i don't even know why i'm reacting this way yeah. really yeah i'm just saying that i'm hurt and it's right. probably not even something you like who knows what the thing is exactly. like it's just it's just Let's just talk, people. Can we just talk to each other and be you know, nice? That's 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 what we're we're just here be kind. for. Yeah. Communication. Be kind. Make each other so feel important. good. And then yeah, the honesty is nice too. Directness, transparency, all those good things that we're talking about. Um so we talked about how to help from the outside perspective a little bit. I don't know, I just one thought that I all that I I guess I think about a lot and I it's um <laughs> when we think about all of these things mm. that uh, I don't know how I, I think calling them things is not the right word when we talk about like what all the, I'll just repeat the topics again. <laughs> Sure, yeah, topics. R um, race, gender, right. body positivity, mental health. Yeah. All these, of like, these topics. Yeah, these like intersectionalities. One thing I always think about, which I don't know, I kind of know, okay, I'll just, I'll blurt it out, is we, I, I'll speak for myself, or something that I think about a lot, is nobody, from my understanding, made any conscious decision to be born right. into whatever circumstance they came up in. Absolutely. The, the year they were born, the exact moment, to the family they were born, to the body they were mm -hmm. born. So nobody chose to be the person that they are. Agreed. Um, so with that being said, I feel like it doesn't make any sense in any... It doesn't make much sense to... Uh, pass any sort of judgment mm -hmm. or criticize people for stuff that is uh, obviously out of their control. Agreed. And I don't know why that's not more a common thought. I wonder the same thing. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> you're, you're asking the questions that I feel like a lot of us um, get frustrated about, right? Like, especially in this, you know, day and age where I think that we have a lot of polarizing, like, views, like, politically, socially, like, as a nation um, right now, especially because of the last, like, four years and what happened last year with COVID. Um, I think that now more than ever, people are less aligned with, like, you know, some of these, like, very basic things that to you and I, they kind of seem like common sense and they seem like universal truths of the world. Um and it's hard because I, I get frustrated about this like a lot. And I think that it's like, uh, like, I don't even have an answer for you because I've obviously thought about it a lot I mean, too. Like, why are people, you know, th the way that they are? Um, but I think that that frustration and that anger and that annoyance, it's what propels me to like want to, you know, try to get everyone on the same page and try to like, you know, help people understand, um, like I said, just basic human decency and, and you know, Human rights. I think um, I think there's a potential movie idea there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I guess like uh, the thing, the the beautiful thing about storytelling, and I know this is something that you lean into a lot. I know in in the short film world, it's hard to. 
kind of tell a story that's not obviously about a thing. Like it's kind of like this is a story yeah. obviously about body positivity, right? Because we have five minutes to tell it. So this is this is the story. Um, I I guess like the and I think you have this mentioned somewhere. I think it was in the LA Voyage article where you talk about there's enough there there, there are enough movies out there that um, the escapism mm-hmm. theory. Right. Like we like we go to the movie. Let's say like I go watch Spider Man because, yeah. you know, I just love the outworlds. Mm-hmm. Like that's an escape. Is these things aren't real. Um. So I guess like for me, there's there's especially in the indie world, like there's right. there's a balance of we're telling a story and sneaking in wanting to put forth a message yeah well, like because yeah. m- most movies have many many messages yeah, sprinkled throughout so totally. the main through line is probably this but then throughout this character's dealing with this and this character's dealing with this mm-hmm. and it's like oh my gosh i never thought about how this person didn't right. you know whatever so i was just thinking because <laughs> I, I did you see um soul pixar yes. yeah yeah i have seen that um they almost go to a place well, because I mean, I was just thinking about how little, little baby souls are jumping. I know, <laughs> down I know. To, down to so Earth. adorable. At no point, that there was, they don't, they're not choosing where they go. That's not a part of the process. Right. They just jump down. I think it's yes. random, right? Yeah. Anyway, I was thinking about it'd be a cool, it'd be a cool movie where that's a thing. That that's like the the hammer home message is <laughs> nobody is choosing anything, and you might have been born five hundred years ago. Who right? Knows? Yeah. I don't know. But, um, no, to your point about, like, messages oh, within sure, films sure. and, like, shorts. Um, so that's actually something that I'm, like, learning to kind of, like, change. Is like So I still believe what I said in that interview that I think that there's a lot of content that's, like, solely meant for escapism and, like, not reflecting at all about, like, the real world, which is great. Like, I love, like, fantasy. Like, I'm a big into, like, any type of, like, monster, mythological, vampire, whatever. Like, I'm all about, like, shows like that, sure, totally. Sure. Um, but as far as what I want to create... Like, um, I think that, you know, for example, something like Beautiful Bodies, and because it was so short, exactly like you said, it was this very streamlined message about body positivity. And like, although I don't, although I think the message is still really good and important, I would not make a film like that again, because I think that what I'm learning um, throughout making more films is like, if you want to give a message, you know, you don't necessarily want to hit people over the head with it. A lot of the times you want to like slip it in a little bit more covertly so that people are resonating with these ideas, but it's not being force fed down their mouth if they, you know, if they feel very adamantly in the other direction, like for example, right? And so what I'm trying to do now and and something that I did with Madison Carton is, you know, Beautiful Bodies is a drama. And I thought that, you know, when I first started like writing when I was like younger I thought I always wanted to kind of do like dramas because those were always the films that I was personally most connected to like my two favorite movies of all time are Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and then Slumdog Millionaire um, because both those stories I feel like are so real and raw I mean they are based off true stories and at the end of them you just feel like wow if these people can do all this stuff like I can you know I can get up in the morning and you know study for my test or go to the gym or do this and that right and so um I thought I always wanted to make dramas that were like that and would impact people in that way. But then I'm starting to learn now, I can still impact people in that way without it being a drama, right? And so that's why with Madison Carnet, I chose to take it in this direction of like dark comedy, thriller, and experimental. Because even though it's a film about mental health, 
it's not like beautiful bodies where I'm telling you like exactly like what the message is exactly what I want you to hear it's a, like it takes kind of like the form of this like story and within that story you kind of like find these little like mm -hmm. easter eggs mm -hmm. of like what these like themes and motifs like are um in the larger context of the narrative and so that's something that i'm learning is i want to still deliver these messages to people in society because i think they're important to say but the vehicle yeah. in which that happens is kind of like changing though i that's i mean that sounds like the prop that sounds yes yes because i think the thing that kind of is interesting to me about let's say uh i script supervised for a short film uh about like suicidal awareness and like cyberbullying and mm -hmm. bullying like that and uh the the director has done a great job of getting the film out there and did a done a big festival run with it and i'm just thinking like a specific festival for instance was like a mental health mental right. health awareness festival so the people that are going to go to the festival are people that are already, mm -hmm. you've already won them over. They're just coming to exactly. just get reminded, be regrounded. Like it's still, it's still beneficial for people mm -hmm. that are aware. But you're hitting like the same market and audience exactly. that doesn't need to be told that. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah. it is, it is a tricky thing of like, we are here to spread a message. Right. And the, e the easier it is to digest those messages the easier or like more well received it will be and i think that like again with beautiful bodies it's more like a this huge pill whereas like madness incarnate is this baby little like small pill to swallow right so <laughs> this one's easy yeah it's like one of those what, what is it those like those gel those gel tablets that you take that are so easy to like you know like the day quill and stuff you, i think you're talking about the chewables oh the, that's where it gets even really better easy. even better oh i have like chewable vitamins that's exactly what, what i'm trying to you know <laughs> strive for right so um yeah, I think that it's, again, like, not always, like, what the message is, but, like, because at the end of the day, right, like, if you if, if you have a message, it doesn't really matter what your message is if no one, like, hears it. And so, like, and again, we kind of talked about what does success mean and what is, you know, so, some of those things. And, like, I think that on a large scale, of course, you know, I, I would love more people to, to see my work to affect this, this change that I'm trying to, like, affect, mm -hmm. like, in the world, right? And so if I do want more audiences to see my work, then I do have to kind of like again figure out ways to tailor that and, and films like beautiful bodies and making her story um they're great i'm proud of them and i fully support the messages in both those films but both of them they may deter certain like audiences because of the fact that they are so overt and like again like direct with like what they're trying to say you know to say that like if someone already doesn't respect women they're probably not going to like click on making her story at all right like because they don't not even going to want to hear 19 women talk about like sure, things sure. right um so you know maybe it might be someone like that feels like they do support women and they watch it and they realize oh wait maybe there are these things that i can improve right so i think that like again with your audience you have to like within that in mind like kind of know who you're targeting like with with uh the content yeah yeah target audiences is always a, was a weird it's yeah. a weird thing but very important i agree cool i had a all right what i was going to jump into i think that was a nice kind of segue into uh yeah. you're talking about getting you're getting it's just like getting our work as filmmakers in general in front of people to see right because um, making it is a lovely process and making it with people like that's that's a whole phase you're affecting people's lives you're giving people right uh livelihood 
and you're putting people in a position to succeed and grow in the paths in their own journeys, which is, I love that part of the process. Then there's a process of it's done, trying to show other people and affect more people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about how you, uh, for Nirvana, Mm -hmm. you had a special kind of premiere event for that. Oh, we did. And I wanted to ask about how that came to be. Sure. And because I thought it was kind of like, I thought it was a really awesome, cool, creative Thank you. way of uh, getting it out there. Sure, and yeah. How did, yes. How did that all come to be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So kind of kind of explain some context. Um, going back to Minus Incarnate. So my lead actor, Paul Rush, who I mentioned before. I keep thinking you're going to say Paul Rudd, but yes. <laughs> not quite, not quite. But uh, Paul, he um, owns a theater company called 66 Theater, and they are based out of an institute, the Lee Strasberg um, Film Institute for, for acting. Essentially, it's an acting school, um, a very like um, reputable one that we have here in Hollywood. And essentially, um, they have like a theater within their acting school, the Marilyn Monroe Theater. It's a you know a small theater about a hundred people capacity, um, but they do offer that to rent out for like types of events or like you know film festivals what have you. And so, with Madness Incarnate, uh, Paul he had already offered, hey like once Madness Incarnate is done, we should have a premiere here at the Marilyn Monroe Theater. And so that always kind of sat in my mind. But Nirvana ended up getting done before Madness Incarnate because of the deadlines that we had through Eddie Bauer the company. And so because we finished that film earlier, I contacted Paul and I was like, hey can I rent your theater for a different film? And, you know, we'll still do Madness Incarnate later, but I had this other, you know, film. I explained to him, hey, we have such a short project. Nirvana was only like a two-minute film. Um, and so that being said, you know, he was like, okay, yeah, like we can rent we can rent it to you. Um, it's a four-hour rental. And I'm like, okay, like what, what are we going to do for four hours My with, with, two a, minutes. with a two-minute film, right? And he was like, well, you guys can do a Q&A. And I'm like, all right, Q&A will last like 15, 20 minutes. That still leaves us three over three hours. And so that's when I came up with the idea with my producers of like, hey, why don't we just invite other people to show their films? Because I feel like a lot of filmmakers, they everyone who doesn't want to see their stuff on the big screen like you know who doesn't want to see their work that's the sell an audience right and so and who doesn't want to do that for free you know because we had already taken care of the cost um, of the theater Um, and so we know we did not charge anyone to play their films we did charge like five or ten bucks for admission just to like break even literally with like the cost that we had put towards the event Um, not to profit off it or anything like that Um, but again like we invited filmmakers and so we said hey guys our film Nirvana revolves around these themes of like empowerment, spirituality, people of color, uh, women, you know, women's rights, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you have a film that you feel like kind of is similar to these themes, whether it be a short film, a music video, uh, anything, you know, feel free to submit it to us. And at this time, I was just worried about like, are we going to get enough submissions to fill the four hours? Like I was like, I hope. Yeah. Where did you put the uh, posting? Where, where was Literally that just, just on like, yeah, like word of mouth, Instagram. I, um, I had made like a professional like Instagram account, like right when we were starting this. And so we kind of tried to like build that up not like a huge page I have like a hundred followers on it but you know like uh people that like want to see my work of course are looking to there for updates and everything and so you know we heavily promoted it on there you know everyone on my team my producers uh and just you know friends in the industry helped me share the post you know and get the word out um I, I individually directly outreached or 
outreach yeah to a few people as well or more than a few probably like almost every like filmmaker that I know in LA I was like hey I'm doing this thing if you got a film or you know someone that's got a film hit us up email us email us your submission um, the only requirement like I said that we had is preferably to fit these themes like for example if you have like a horror film maybe not appropriate for this specific screening event um, but yeah and we said hey like let's keep them under 10 minutes we wanted to show as many films as possible and showcase as many artists as possible um, and we ended up getting like an overwhelming you know like response we had over 40 submissions and I think we chose between 10 to 15 um, that's all we had time for that's all we had room for in the programming and so uh, yeah cool so you did uh I saw you did two blocks, so it was almost like you hosted a little mini mini film fest. Yeah, well, a screening event like for so basically like to not disqualify people from submitting their films to other festivals, um, we specifically had to be very oh, careful with the that. with the verbatim Apologies. of this uh, event. So, so you know, it's a screening a public or sorry <laughs> a private a private screening event okay. because apparently if you publicly screen your film anywhere, you know, you, you lose your eligibility for a certain, we didn't want that to happen to anyone, including ourselves, you know, because we want to also uh, do things with Nirvana moving forward too. And so again, the way that we kind of got around that is it was private. We had, you had to have a private link in order to, you know, get a ticket. Um, as far as like, you know, again, submissions, again, we did not charge for them. We did not have like a strict, you know, like rules and stuff like that. And then um, again, you know, we did, we didn't, but but for all intents and purposes, like for people that are outside it, it, the, of the industry, the it's pretty much pretty much the same as a film festival. Yeah, the structure. Yeah, the structure that, is. And that's why I said it was. It's like you did. Yeah. But you. Yeah. But you didn't. Um, which is very cool. So you, out of the two blocks, right. I'm imagining each block is like an hour. Yeah. You have a wiggle room for the Q and A and stuff. Yeah, we had a, we had like a wiggle room for Q and A. We also had like an intermission in between with like raffle and like refreshments, stuff like that, pictures with a photographer. Um, but yeah, we had about like an hour in each block, and so again, we had to choose, you know, which films. And um, on that day, you know, my producer and I, she came over. We watched all forty of these films, and. Um, you know, was it was it's a long day. <laughs> it was a long day. Bless her, you know, for coming and, and watching them with me. Um, really appreciated her help, of course, and um, and choosing um, because again, like you know, it wasn't necessarily about always choosing the best films, but also choosing which films we felt you know aligned with these like themes and like were showcasing again like the the messages we wanted to showcase in a positive way, and so. Um, that selection process, like, I think that, like, once we knew, like, our criteria, our priority, it was easy after that point to then be like, okay, yes, this one definitely is appropriate, this one definitely fits, you know, whatever, uh, and then we contacted everyone to, like, notify them that they had been accepted into this, like, screening, um, a lot of them were able to attend, which was great, some of them weren't able to, but some of them were, and I, you know, I got to meet them, which was great, and a lot of these filmmakers, you know, I'm now connected with moving forward, and I look forward to either working with or, you know supporting in the future and that's also what this event was about is um it's not wasn't just about nirvana my film it was more about also being something for the community because again like a lot of people don't have the resources or financial ability to like rent out a theater like this and show their work and so again if i was already doing that for my film why not you know oh, nice. bring other people onto the train and make it into like a big thing that people can you know have a safe space to come to, to network, to show their work, to be appreciated for their art and celebrated. Um, and now we're going to kind of make this a thing. So with the Madness Incarnate, 
as I mentioned, we're nearing the end. Uh, we, we're going to try to have the film finished up by the end of January or early February. So in March or April, we're going to be having another one of these events um, for Madness Incarnate, where we're going to, you know, again, have like a screening event for Madness Incarnate, but we're going to invite other filmmakers to show their work. And this time, instead of being about like inclusivity and people of color and empowerment, the theme is more so going to be a mental health themed, um, you know, like those types of submissions. And so, sure. yeah. I love it. You, uh, it's like, uh, you, you took a thing almost like a whim <laughs> and it became a whole opportunity to, uh, do the lovely thing of supporting, um, other creatives right. and, uh, yeah, the class, yeah, the, the nice, the nice thing that you were preaching earlier or pitching earlier mm -hmm. of, um, you know, it's not about being competitive and going at each other. It's right. about actually like, you know, what if we were nice? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. So that had two blocks. You were, you screened that film at the top of each block and, yep. and got to get it out that way. Um, that was a, a little private private event. So I'm assuming is that that one's not – was that – where did that one go or what is that up to now? So that project, project Nirvana, yeah. So as I mentioned, we did um, work with the company, Eddie Bauer. They gave, they awarded me this, this film grant. Right. And that's what we used to fund the project, solely, solely that money to fund the project. And um, Which is awesome. Yeah. And within that being said, um, the grant was really, really like, really nice in the way that like I still own the rights to the film the company doesn't own any part of it it was just like they I, I give them permission to like help promote the project and to share you know the trailer and things things like that yeah, it's like please do that yeah. yeah please please help me out <laughs> right so um it was a great opportunity it, it, it was and I think that now what we're trying to do with the film is we're between a couple of different things we're either gonna you know enter it into film festivals and go that route um or what we might try to do is you know because we did make it in the style of a commercial and something like marketable. Um, we are potentially trying to also talk to Eddie Bauer and see if they're interested in like, you know, um, partnering and um, continuing to collaborate in some capacity as far as like, you know, I've talked to my post-production team who are more than happy to like recut the film in a way that promotes their brand like more. And, you know, if they are willing to yeah. hire us for that or cut some type of deal, because in that way, then we can then go ahead and as I mentioned, you know, we, we used the grant money for the entire production. So a lot of people, they worked for a lower rate than normal. And then myself, my two producers, my DP and my lead actor, none of us were paid from that project. We all donated our rate towards the production because we wouldn't have not been able to make the film otherwise, you know, the cost of equipment, insurance, things like that. And so because of that, you know, if the company did want to additionally, you know, hire us or contract us to like, you know, sell them this this commercial or like for to buy this content right then we would you know put that money back into the people um, yeah. who deserve that money and such and like you know try to like i said see if there's um and that's also a great way for more people to see the work too right is like you know um the whole point of festivals is for people to see your work and to see your abilities as a filmmaker and to invest into like you mm -hmm. um but if the same thing or more can be accomplished by say a, a national commercial or like, you know, a brand like Eddie Bauer that's been around for a hundred years and um, they do have a lot of like power within the, the outdoor industry in that niche. And so there would be opportunities for us to gain like that type of exposure and like, you know, just like, again, bring everyone on up that was on that project. Right. And so everyone being like, um, 
credited and like again like celebrated for their work on that and their abilities and I think that like if that can happen uh great like right now my producer and I uh we just received an email today actually from one of our contacts Eddie Bauer. yeah and so they would they're uh they're down to you know move forward with just having a meeting and like mm -hmm. you know seeing like where that goes so you know, nothing, nothing's figured out right now. And like sure. I said, if it doesn't work out, then we'll consider going to film festivals instead. But yeah. Very cool. No, I mean, it seems like a, uh, I can definitely hear the pitch. It's like, hey, we already have the footage. You right. just, we just got to recut it. And it's a 15 second spots, 30 second spots or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, best of luck on that. I hope Thank that you. goes yeah, well. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to wind us down here. I want to talk a little bit about the future. Sure. Um, <clears throat> we are currently in December of 2021. Yes. Um, and next year is 2022. Do you have, uh, I know you've got a, a rumor has that you have a web series in the works. Is that still a thing? Yeah. So there's a few things. So what's next? Year? Not a next 10 years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> next 10 years. Um, so not like per se a, a web series, but there are some other projects and, and, and stuff that, yeah, that, that I would love to, to talk about a little bit. So as you kind of know, 2021, I wrote, wrote, directed three of my own projects. Um, and I think that with that being said, in 2022, what I'm going to do is I have this goal of like solely directing like other people's like projects, like because I've never really directed something that someone else has written. Um, and... I have a few reasons for doing that. One, I think it'll help me gain a lot of experience as a director in a collaborative sense. Second of all, it's going to be less physically like time consuming and like mentally draining. Like when you know when you're when you're like the writer and director on a project, like these are like your babies, and right? Producer. So it's like and producer, like these are your babies and you're like raising all of them up whereas when yeah. you're just directing someone else's project, of course, I still care about it, but it's not the same level of like investment. It's not my brain child, you know, so to speak, right? So it's a little bit different. And then, so that's another reason too that I wanted to kind of have time for myself. I'm kind of like in the process of developing this like limited series like idea that don't want to say like too, too much about yet, but um, it's partially autobiographical and partially also rooted in fantasy as well. So I'm kind of combining oh. those two things. Yeah. Um, but I want to have time to like do ample research and writing with that project. And so next year in 2022, I plan on, like I said, probably just directing other people's um, films or working on other people's sets. And so, so far, uh, the things that I have lined up is so in January, I'll be directing my first music video out here in L.A. Um, it's actually with someone that lives in this apartment, um, an artist, Dakota Cruz. Uh, he's an up and coming like, um, you know, rapper, songwriter, singer and everything. And so a uh, really good friend of mine looking forward to uh, directing this music video for him in January. And so that's kind of the first thing that we have going on. And then after that, um, I do also plan on directing a couple other music videos with some other friends, artists throughout the year. Um, I'll also be producing and ADing um, my first feature for the first time as well. So I have a, another friend yes, who lives, I saw, lives here. I saw your yeah. announcement on that. You're yeah. producing and the AD. One of the producers, not the only producer. You're a producer. Yes, a producer. And also the only AD. First AD. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a second sure, AD sure, on sure, the project sure. too. But um, yeah, so this is for, again, another friend slash neighbor who coincidentally lives here in this apartment i'm telling you a lot this of people that live here shameless plug <laughs> but um yeah so uh 
he like you know as the director uh invited me on to this project and so we haven't quite started pre-production yet we are finalizing things as far as like the budget and the timeline and the dates but um i'm really excited it's it's a great script um our writer christian he just finished another draft and i i, I love it i feel great about it it's a it's a horror film so it's my first time like mm -hmm. truly working on a, a horror like in this capacity because that's kind of like one of the genres that i haven't explored as much in my own yeah, filmmaking yeah I stay away from it too <laughs> yeah I mean like I'm also one of those people where like I'm not like the best at like watching scary movies like I'm very like scared <laughs> and stuff so I'm the, to I'm the total type to like hide behind a pillow and like yeah it's hard to direct you know, all if you that. can't watch the monitor oh absolutely <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hoping though that through this film I'll be less scared of like the movie because I'll see like oh, you know that it's not real yeah stuff. yeah 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 so we'll see we'll see if that happens or not or maybe it'll make me more scared I don't know yeah. but um so I'll be doing that project as well and then I also have a, a few other short films um with people that were going to be like writing and, and acting and have hired me on to direct for them so I have um three in particular that I have lined up right now um one of them is with one of my producers, Tegan Barnes, um, another talented filmmaker, Shainu Bala, and then also another talented filmmaker, Brandon Swanson. Um, I've talked to the three of them about, again, like we have these goals of shooting these projects all within next year, 2022. And so, you know, we've got three short films, we've got a feature, we've got a few music videos. So That's 2022 is looking looking pretty busy sounding, already. Yeah. Sounding, uh, yes, busy, involved, um, exciting. Very exciting. How, in terms of the AD thing? Sure. Ha, would this, <laughs> have you first AD'd before? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I first AD'd on, on a, a few projects. Um, the biggest set that I probably first AD'd on was about last year, around this time, um, a colleague of mine from USC was shooting like a like a pilot, and that was mm. about like I think thirty people like on that set, okay, and so sweet. that was like you know the biggest like one that I had like worked on, and it was a great learning experience. Um, both of the producers on that project taught me so much um, through that experience because prior to like working on that film, I had like assistant directed, but not like not for that many people and not for something of that like scope. Um, so that was like a great experience. And from there, I've also done like some AD and producing work since then, um, which is also kind of like added to like my like repertoire of that mm -hmm. position. But of course, um, it's a lot different than directing. It's kind of like the opposite super, of directing because you're doing like all the non-creative stuff, all the scheduling, you know, you're making sure all the departments are all good. And, and sometimes if you don't have like a COVID compliant officer, you as the AD, you are the COVID compliant officer. So, um, that's you know that's safety. another that's safety. like all elements of safety, safety is, is super important but on top of like it being a stressful position on its own it's like that's a lot to throw on to there yes. for sure um and so yeah like obviously like i don't want to be an ad like in my career long term but i think that being an ad if you want to be a director is a great again learning experience because you get to be the right hand person of the director and like see kind of like that whole process like you're you are very involved um in certain aspects of pre-production as like the first ad too so it's like you get the, a, a chance to like yeah, almost in a way shadow you're, that you're that there the whole time yeah and you're so there, there the are great things that you can learn from it even if you don't want to like 
do that position. Like, no, I wouldn't sure. say that I'm passionate about, like, a dean or anything like that. Like, it's not, like, the most fun position, like, by any means, but... As long as you're good at it and you can get it done. As long as you can get the work done. And I think yeah. that an important part of being AD on set is, like, trying to keep people's spirits up. I feel like a lot of the times everyone hates the AD, so it's, mm -hmm. like... Because, you know, you're the one, like, yelling at everyone that they're behind. Um, but it's how you do it. It's how you do it that it's I think can really, like either boost the morale on set or it's like everyone just feels super rushed and annoyed so mm -hmm. you know. yeah getting on the director about like do we need this shot like <laughs> can we it's like i know I, I direct too but like do we need the shot <laughs> i think that's hard too is like when you're like a director on another director's set is you do have to be like super super conscientious of not like overstepping and 100%. i think that's like yeah the ad is yeah. at no point ever i i'm sure it'd be specific based on your relationship but um yeah, offering creative uh, suggestion is not really a part of the job description. Right. Cool. Lovely. <laughs> okay, so there's that. Yeah. I, no, I was going to say, okay, I remember what I was going to say. You, my pitch, when I whenever I hear people talk about AD being a, a nice shadowing experience mm -hmm. of a director... I usually respond with um, a script supervisor right. is the ultimate shadowing experience because you're involved creatively yeah. and there's no logistical stuff going on. Yeah. So And it's all the departments. Still. And you're literally just sitting there the whole time next to the director, whereas like when you're the AD, you're probably running around yeah, the whole set. Yeah, you're running around, yeah. you're micromanaging all these different stuff. You're just, you're just, you're not even watching the performances because there's no reason. I mean, you could, but like... You're by the director at the monitor, listening in, making, you know, having those conversations creatively. Yeah. Um, but no, I've AD'd as well. So it is sometimes nice to just change. Sometimes, I don't know if you feel this, but like you can be too creative and it's like, I'm, I'm gassed and I'm like, just, I just don't have the creative juices. Oh, yeah. So just let me just rush people today. Right. And this is a different side of my brain. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Like, Burnout is such a real thing, mm -hmm. like in this industry, whether it be creatively, physically, like mentally, all types of ways. So, plenty of ways to get burned out. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of burnout, we're at the end. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, cool. So, last last question, very simple. Uh, let's give a reminder to the people oh, on yeah. where to where to follow you, and then I'll have additional sure. links that you can send me to include too. But yeah. So I'll say this to the audiences watching back home. Um, thank you guys, whoever is watching right now. So um, Eddie, yeah, my Instagram, my personal Instagram is Olivia Wong 11. Um, my professional Instagram is O Wong Productions. That's O-W-O-N-G. And then the word productions. You can find me on Instagram with either of those two things to keep up with my work. And then from both of those places, you can find like my website through there, Facebook page, stuff like that. Um, so yeah. And then we'll also include the link to the current GoFundMe. Oh, yeah. So that is, is going to be... Or is that three different? Yeah. You guys can look at that also in the bio, but that's like madness-incarnate.com. Um, so if you guys also are interested in checking that out. For sure. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being a part. Thanks for hosting me here. Hopefully the music was cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm awesome. looking forward thank to seeing you. how it all goes. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Yes. Great. All right. Bye. And we're out. <laughs>